Praise the Lord. Everybody doing good? Yeah. Cool. Pastor Dan is not making it this morning. Um, a couple other things have come up for him, and, and uh, he called me last night and uh, asked me if, if there would be a way I could cover, and so we moved some things around, and um, can I say this? And I don't even know if we're on the internet right now, it's okay, but um, if, if, for those of you that know, his wife Kim had been out of town for three weeks. She went to Montana with her sister. When she came home, before she got home, he was flying to New York. So he flew to New, he flew to New York for power and love. Let him fly. They drove. So that so they haven't seen each other, and he's got a little granddaughter, Jasmine. If you know that, and that's like the love of his life, man. His heart throbs over this little girl. So it's kind of amazing. So in the process of that, what happened was uh, she had spent the night last night and they had some things planned for this morning and he kind of wanted to be a part of it. I said, man, by all means go. I can cover the school and you go and be with your family. Because one of the things we got to understand this is, and this is really important, is that, and I'll say it this way, but I believe God created the church to support the family, not the family to support the church. Y'all okay when I say that and you understand what I'm saying? So there's a place where we have to, and I've had that out of balance. Maybe some other folks that have been in ministry, can, it's easy to get that out of balance. And there's a place where you purpose in your heart. I'm not going to let that get out of balance again in my life. Is that okay to say that? So even in talking with Pastor Dan, I said, man, go and be with your family. Enjoy that time. We're going to have a blast here. Don't worry. I got some things that are on my heart. And we'll just see what God does. You okay? Yeah, cool. Because I think Jesus is still in control. What do you think? <laughs> Last time I checked, he's on the throne, and that hasn't changed. <laughs> okay. So it's a good day today. I'm excited about just being with you. Uh, a couple of things that are rising up in my heart, and we'll talk about. We'll see what God does today throughout the class. Um, I think we should just pray first. Is that okay? Man, let's just lend our hearts to the Lord here. Let's just, let's just. Father, we're just going to say thank you. What an awesome opportunity we have just to share together today as we celebrate what you're doing. We thank you for the privilege, the blessing, and the honor, Lord, of just standing with you today, God. And we're asking you to just meet us here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come in an amazing fashion. May the Spirit of the Lord just be upon us. God, that you would speak to us individually and corporately. Let your, let, let your heart just, just, just so resound within us, God, that we would, we would see the revelation of the heart of the Father today in a greater dimension than we ever have before. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know you better. I pray, Lord, that today your spirit would just guide us. The word tells us that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. So we're just asking you to teach us today, Lord, and help us to learn and glean from one another. May we grow because of the time that we spend together today. And may your presence be with us always in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to talk about several things today, but uh, there's a couple of things that are on my heart. And uh, I guess what I'm looking at right now is just thinking out loud. I'm, I'm going to share with you with some things that just thinking out loud. <laughs> but, but as we continue, we're pressing in. I know most of you know we got this week and next week, and uh, this week's half over as of today. So, uh, oh, on a side note, some of you might have concern. Keep praying with Sharon. We went in, spent the day. She did go into the hospital. They did keep her overnight, uh, but we spent quite a bit of time with her. Took Dick with me yesterday afternoon, and we went down and just spent some time with her uh, through the ER, talked with several of the doctors. And she has a history of heart trouble. And it was atrial fibrillation, if any of you are familiar with some of the terms of cardiology. But she, uh, and her heart just got racing. Uh, it's not an uncommon thing for her. It's rather, uh, found out there's quite a history of that. And just, just as a matter, so that everybody's on the same page and we can understand this. You pray, and you pray, and you release faith, and you pray and release faith. But there's a place where you have to respond responsibly. 
Is everybody okay when I use that phrase? Uh, because I, I know sometimes, I got to tell you, even as the pastor of the church, it's very disappointing for me if an ambulance has to show up. You know what I mean? That, that just shouldn't be. But sometimes there's a place where you respond responsibly. Is everybody okay when I say that? Uh, what happens is sometimes we feel like if we do that, we've, we've lost faith or we've missed God or whatever. I, I believe God could touch her and there would be, everything would be fine. But when she wasn't responding and we'd prayed several times, then there came a place that I, I talked to some people. And of course, most of you know, Dr. John was in the house yesterday. And, you know, so I'm taking my lead from a doctor. I think that's probably a good idea. I don't know. I don't think I know any other doctors that are more faith-filled than Dr. John. I think he's as faith-filled as doctors get. And uh, when he said, I would, I would highly recommend calling 911 just, from, just to, to be on the side of safety. You know what I mean? And so that's when the call was made. Uh, but Sharon's doing well today, just so everybody's hearts are okay. I did call this morning, didn't get an answer. I uh, talked with her again last night that we were down yesterday and all. Uh, but... It seems that she'll be absolutely fine. I think they would probably had her out for some more tests before they would send her home, which would make sense to me, KG stuff, probably at a, at a cardio lab. So just keep her in your prayers and keep uh, lifting that one up before the Lord, okay? Just wanted to ease everybody's mind. And, and I think there's a place there that probably needs some instruction, right? Just the idea. Remember that phrase, we've, we respond responsibly. We don't lose faith. We don't ever change that. that. That doesn't shift or anything else, but there's a place where we respond responsibly, okay? Okay. Enough said on that. Go to John chapter 4. Because I like John chapter 4. <laughs> um, I, I am very excited about what I, see the, what I see happening in the body of Christ today. I think we're in an incredibly amazing time of, I'm going to use the word transition. I think the church today looks very, very different than the church did 15 years ago. Who would agree? Uh, at least for a lot of us. And I, I guess that's probably a good way to say it is for a lot of us. Uh, I think things are continuing to change. I, I believe very much that the whole structure of the church in the year 2025 will look incredibly different than it does in 2011. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even the way we do Sunday mornings is going to look incredibly different. Okay? And I'll leave that alone. Some things the Lord spoke to my heart about, we've talked about. Uh, I, I believe that. I believe the financial structure of the church is going to look incredibly different. One, I touched on Sunday morning, if you were here in the house at all, but I touched Sunday morning on the idea that when we were getting ready to receive the offering, I just believe there's a whole lot of things that are going to change because the church is in transition. Um, we've allowed the government to direct the church. And if you study the history of the United States in the early 1700s, late, mid, late 1700s, early 1800s, the church was actually given direction to the government rather than the government giving direction to the church. And that's really shifted now. There's a big difference in that. And, and I really think that we've even stepped back and allowed the government to, 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 to determine our schooling. We've allowed the government to determine uh, our welfare programs. We've allowed our government to determine how we take care of widows and orphans. I, I think it's in the book. I really think that was the church's responsibility. I feel like that in the next several years, we'll see a shift going back to that, where we're, where we're stepping up to do what the Word tells us to do, because the church is in transition, and that's what I want to talk about today, the church in transition. You know why? You're the church. <laughs> How many of you feel like you're in transition? Yes. You've been in 11 weeks of transition, let me tell you, <laughs> okay? And there's a whole lot of that, and that's cool. It's fun, actually. It's like an amazing thing, because our hearts are shifting, and things are changing. Our view, I, I, so much of what I talk about always constantly dealing with is the lens we see life through. We've got, if you don't see anything different, you won't do anything different. But if we see things differently, 
we'll do everything different. I just think that's a, there's such an amazing truth to that. And my prayer often has been, Lord, change the way I see things. Change, I'll never change the way I think if I don't change the way I see something. Because if I always see it the same, I'll always think about it the same. But if I see it differently, I'll, I'll respond differently to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, so there's a place there. So go to John chapter 4 because there's a transition that takes place in the early part of the chapter. Okay? And we're we're going to walk through the fourth chapter for a little while. But it starts with transition. It says, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John... Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Okay? That's transition. If you, if you, again, do we talk about this at all? How, how the Israel's divided into like five states? So you all understand that Galilee's in the north, Judea's in the south. Right? On the, on the left side or the, the east side of the river. So that's gonna, there's going to be a transition. He's going from the southern extremity of Israel to the northern extremity. Everybody okay? It's a transition. Something's changing. And, and if you study the culture, the culture of Judea was very different than the culture of Galilee. Just like to say this, who's, who's ever lived in Tennessee? Anybody here live in Tennessee? Has spent any time in Tennessee? Culture in Tennessee is very different than the culture in Pennsylvania. I got to tell you something. I, lived, I grew up in western Pennsylvania. I, I've lived here in south central Pennsylvania, and I've lived in Allentown in eastern Pennsylvania. Can I tell you this? It's all the same state, but three completely different cultures. Oh, yeah. It is very, very different. So you could divide that. You could slice the state into three places, and the cultures are so very, very different. South central Pennsylvania, where we're at right here, is a culture all to itself. It really, really is. We moved here from Battle Creek, Michigan, and I got to tell you something, man. I, I, please don't hear this because like, there's nothing critical about it. I actually did it on purpose, but it's like we went back 20 years in time, okay? It, because where we came from was a thriving metropolis to what is very, what I would consider slow pace. It's a very, very different thing. It won't seem slow to you if you've always lived here. It's just normal, but if because you'd have nothing to compare that to. But if you went from there to here, if you went, if you moved here from Los Angeles, you'd be like in culture shock, okay? <laughs> okay, because it's different, okay? Well, if you understand. In the history, the culture of Galilee was very different because it's a fishing community. It's more of a, it's going to be a more laid back where Judea, more of the metropolis type. Are you okay with what I've just said? It's just, it's different cultures. Things are different. People from different cultures respond differently. Okay? That's a big word because watch this. Even when you're, when you're sharing biblical truth, sometimes understanding where somebody came from. Okay? I, I want to say this. Most of it, a lot of you in the class now, by now you know a lot of my background, I was born and raised Roman Catholic. So my first experience in a Pentecostal church, they had to go easy on me, man, because they freaked me out. Okay? <laughs> it was just weird to me because that was, it was, a, it was a culture shock. Can I say that? It was a cult because I was used to coming in very quiet, very reserved, and you went through a form, you know what I mean? And I don't want to say that in a bad way. I, I learned a lot of stuff. I'm glad for my roots, but understand this. It was, it was like I come into a bunch of shouting, jumping, hopping people. I said, what in the world is this? You know what I mean? Because that was very foreign to me. I didn't understand any of that. 
Do you understand that a lot of what you're sharing, and watch this, even with the revelation that you're getting of kingdom dynamics and understanding kingdom truths and, and seeing the reality of the kingdom being walked out, not everybody's going to understand that. Not everybody's going to agree with that. Not everybody's going to see those things, okay? But you're walking into something amazing. And watch this. There'll even be people that will come along to tell you, stay away from that, stay away from that, stay away from that. That's dangerous. You understand what I just said? Who's ever picked mushrooms? Anybody ever picked mushrooms? I, I get a daily devotional in my email, but my email comes in my phone, okay? So I, I, was, I was actually reading through that this morning, and my, it's called Seeds of the Kingdom. It's, out of, it's out, actually out of the UK, uh, but L.L. Uh, Grange, if you're familiar with any of that, but I, I'm reading this little, it's just a light devotional, and the, the author of the devotion said some things I thought were amazing. The author is a mushroom uh, foraging for mushrooms. Everybody, are you familiar with that? And loves to do that. It's like one of the greatest thrills in his life. But when he started doing it, you know, he had to learn, because how many know some mushrooms are poisonous, right? So he gets information, gets a book and, and a bunch of stuff, and he starts learning all about mushrooms, and he starts going and picking mushrooms, and he loves to cut them up and eat them and do different things with them. And I, I'm not a mushroom person, so it, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but his lesson was amazing to me. Watch the lesson. The lesson said, as he was doing that, he began to thoroughly enjoy it and share his enthusiasm with people around him. But guess what the people around him were doing? Oh my gosh, you shouldn't be eating mushrooms. Mushrooms can be poisonous. Mushrooms will kill you if you eat the wrong one. Don't go picking mushrooms. How many of you know picking mushrooms is a great thrill in his life? He loves picking mushrooms. But the people that love him, some of them were saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing that because watch this, mushrooms can kill you. Who knows if you eat the wrong mushrooms, you can get poisoned and die. But mushrooms are poisonous. So what they were doing was trying to guard and protect. But what he was saying is, no, I've studied this. And you know what? I can see what's bad and what's good. And I'm taking the good. And I'm good with this. And it became a thrill in his life. In the same essence, what I'll tell you is that people that love you, people that care for you, when you begin to speak to them about the reality of kingdom living, and you start speaking to them about the reality of walking out your destiny and, and, and fulfilling the call of God on your life and really purposing to go out, they may caution you, right? Oh my gosh, you're getting fanatic. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, this can't be. And, and, and that, that will come across. And watch, it's well-meaning, but what they don't understand is what you do understand. And how many know, I'm not going to allow what you don't understand to take away from what I do understand. Does that make sense? Do they mean well? Absolutely. 100% they mean well. They want to do well. They, that's everything in their heart's purpose to mean well. But what happens is, is that sometimes we've allowed well-meaning people to keep us from where God's trying to get us. Anybody understand what I just said? There's a phrase in my heart that, 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 that really is strong, and I, I think it probably is appropriate at this point, but, but I, I refuse to allow what you don't know to keep me from going to what I want to know. Because I want to get somewhere. So I'm going to stay in the book, and I'm going to keep looking after things and keep searching and digging. I can tell you, uh, some of the strangest stuff in my life, 15 years ago, well, probably not even that long ago, geez, 15, it wasn't even near that long ago, probably 10 years ago, things began to change and shift in my heart and in my life. And I began to see the, the vast difference between the gospel of salvation versus the gospel of the kingdom. And nothing wrong with the gospel of salvation, but it's a part of a bigger picture, the gospel of the kingdom. 
and that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom must be preached, not the gospel of salvation. And I began to understand because if you'd asked me 10 years ago, what's the central message of the, uh, of the gospel, I would have said you must be born again. Because that seemed to me like that was the central message of the gospel. Jesus, everybody needs to hear, you must be born again. But Jesus only ever preached, you must be born again one time to one man in the middle of the night. We read it in John chapter 3. And, and, and so, so if we look at that, 37 times he preaches, repent, change the way you think, because the kingdom of God is at hand, right? It makes sense to me that that's probably the central message of the gospel. So when I began to think about that, it took me to a place, but... but as I began to see those things, even then, there were people that would have come along and said, Pastor, now wait a minute, you're, you're kind of getting out there. What is all this? Because it was what they didn't understand. But how many know at a point in my life, I didn't understand. There's a point where you start to open up the book, you start studying, you start searching, digging in and going after, and allowing the Holy Spirit to give direction. The church is in transition. Do you understand what I'm saying? But how many know transition happens at different levels for different people? You can put 10 kids in a row and teach them all something new. One of them may get it real simple. Three more may get it with a little more effort. Four more may get it if you stay with them, and two may never get it. I don't know if that made 10 or not. Okay, <laughs> okay. but, but, but y'all understand what I'm saying, right? Y'all understand where I'm at? And, and so what happens is we've got we've to just understand, I'm going to keep pressing in because I, we're in transition. The church at large is in transition. Jesus is now at this point in, in John chapter 4, there's a transition that's happening. We're gathered here in Judea, but we're moving north to Galilee. How many know headquarters is going to end up in the northern province? Headquarters is going to end up at Cana. They're going to end up in Galilee, okay? And in that process of transition, look at the next verse. This is a very, very powerful verse. This is what I want to talk about. And going back to verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. I have in my Bible underlined, he must needs go. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about this so that you're all on the same page. Samaria was a province to be avoided at all costs. Any good Jew would actually cross the river, go around Samaria, not through it. There was a cultural thing here. If you can go back in history to the time when the kingdoms were divided, they were divided kingdoms. The northern, the northern kingdoms were made up of 10 tribes. The southern kingdom was made up of two tribes, okay, out of the 12 tribes of Israel. The southern kingdom uh, encompassed Jerusalem, and, and, and it, it was, there were two tribes, okay, Judah and Benjamin. But what happened was the Assyrians had come in, invaded the northern kingdom, took a bunch of captives, and overtook the territory. Over a period of time during that, during that invasion, during that Assyria, Assyrian invasion, the Jews began to intermarry with the Assyrians, okay? And when they intermarried with the Assyrians, what happened was they, they, they began to create offspring, okay? Half Jew, half Gentile, Samaritans, right? The pure Jews looked at them as, as less than. The pure Jews looked at them as, as an inferior race. You okay with where I'm at? So now the Samaritans, who 
They said, well, if you don't want us, we don't want you. How many know that's just the way? Well, life kind of works that way. So what happened was, because of that, there was, a, there was dissension between them, and the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. And any good self-respecting Jew purposed in their heart, I'm not going through Samaria. I'm not even touching that area. And they would actually go around. The Jews would worship in Jerusalem. That was the place where they did all their feasts and all their festivals. The, the, and, and so what happened was, the, the, the Samaritans said, well, we'll set up our own temple at Mount Gerizim, okay? And that's there in Samaria, right? And so everything was divided. Their worship was divided. Everything was divided. So not the will of God. But at this point, you have to understand that the Jews, a Jew would rather cross the Jordan River, go up through Perea and Decapolis, and go back into Galilee rather than just go straight through Samaria. And Jesus said, that's a bunch of nonsense. I'm going through Samaria. Why? He said, he must needs go. Did you see the word, I must needs go through Samaria? Do you know why? Because God had a plan. Who remembers this phrase? Jesus says it. I only. Yeah, I only do what I see the Father doing. I believe he looked up toward heaven and said, hey, we're going through Samaria. The Father's going through Samaria, so we'll go through Samaria. It's one of the things that we need to get a hold of is this. I, to me, that's probably one of the most challenging verses in the Scripture when Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do. It, does that challenge your heart the way it does mine? Like, I so want to live in that realm of I only do what God does. <laughs> I mean, what a realm to live in, to be able to, I, I, I actually want to get up in the morning and God just downloads to me today, this is what I want you to do. Wouldn't that be a great day? I mean, I'm not there yet. You know what I mean? Like you're walking through the store and the Lord's telling you who he wants you to touch and who, you know what I mean? Because I, I can tell you something. I, I, I so want, do you know some people that have this incredibly accurate word of knowledge thing. Yeah. <laughs> I so want that. It's just, it's such a challenge in my heart. Like, like to just be able, you know, and you could look at Tricia and go, wow, this is what the Lord's saying and just read mail. And that just sounds like fun. You know what I mean? It's just like, and, and, and there are times, and I'll say this, I'll be real honest with you. There are times we're in an altar service and the Lord just downloads and, and, and I can read mail pretty good. But there are other times, I'm walking through Walmart, I see this lady, she's all kind of crippled up, and I'm thinking, Lord, just give me, you know, I know she needs prayer, I want to pray for her, I'm going to pray for her, but you don't get all the specific stuff, you know what I mean? I wanted it at Walmart, because they say Walmart has everything, okay, <laughs> we should get it there, you know what I mean? I just want to get it, you know? I, th those are the kind of things that kind of challenge my heart. When Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do, that's amazing to me. Do you actually believe in your heart that everybody that Jesus prayed for got healed? Yeah. Yeah. Then, then if John 14 and 12 says that I can do what he did, yeah. right? I mean, it does say that. Matter of fact, it even says, the works that I do shall you do, and greater works than these shall you do. I'm like, whoa. Because <laughs> I want that. I want that. See, not everybody I pray for gets healed. I'm not at the place where everybody I pray for gets healed, but I am at the place where everybody I pray for gets loved. That, that's a good word. You, just get that in your heart. You know what I mean? Because the fact of the matter is, if I pray for you, you might not get healed, but I can guarantee you'll get loved. 
We got an email at the office, and uh, a lady was coming actually from far, far away, and she wanted to come here because she felt like if she could get here, she'd get healed. But in her letter, in her email, and she meant well, don't hear it wrong, she meant well, but she said, if I could get the means together to get there, can you guarantee me that I'll get healed? So I said to Kim, write back and tell her, I can't guarantee you'll get healed, but I can guarantee you'll get loved. Okay? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could. Wouldn't you love to be in that place where you can just say, absolutely, because Jesus lives in me. And I'd, I've, I've got that faith that says, Jesus lives in me. You should. But we had an ambulance show up yesterday. Do you understand where my heart's at? I don't want that scene to play out, but sometimes it does. Other times it doesn't. I've seen a lot of people get healed. Seen a lot of people get delivered. Seen a lot of people get saved. Seen a lot of people get set free. Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. There's, a, there's something pressing in my spirit that's driving me to go through Samaria. It was, come on, it was culturally taboo to go through Samaria. Do you ever feel like God led you to do something that seems strange to society? Like it's just totally foreign to you? Like... I love that stuff. I like when God, because God stretches us. That's a neat thing. Probably two years ago, one of the guys from the church came, and uh, it was a Sunday morning. It was early. We weren't doing the 8 o'clock service then. Um, I do an 8 o'clock, just a teaching at 8 o'clock now, but I wasn't doing it then. And, And his name's Eric, and Eric came into my office, and he had his hand closed like this. And he came over to me, and he said, I, I've got something for you. And he went like this. So I put my hand underneath, and he dropped a big, fat, wide rubber band in my hand. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about with the real thick ones? And he dropped it in my hand. And I'm looking at it. I said, okay. And he's just staring at me. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> Do I need this? And he said, the Lord told me to give, me that, to give you that. I said, okay. He said, that represents you. And I was looking at it, and I said, are you telling me I'm big, fat, and wide? Because <laughs> I don't need a revelation. I have a mirror. <laughs> what's, what's up with that? You know? and, 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 he was, and he looked at me, and he smiled. He said, no. He said, seriously. He said, the Lord told me to give you that, that that rubber band represents you. And over the next while, he said, he's going to stretch you like a rubber band. But he said that you serve your best purpose when you're stretched. Because a rubber band that's not stretched is actually fairly useless. It only serves its purpose when it's being stretched. Isn't that an amazing thing? I like when God stretches us. Because God wants to stretch. And that's the neat thing. Here's the deal. He's going through Samaria. And Samaria is a place where a good Jew doesn't go through. They don't deal, they, they have no dealings. As a matter of fact, we're going to read that later on. But they have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans and the Jews just didn't even talk to each other. If you saw the temple structure, right? How many understand Herod's temple? Y'all understand Herod's temple? Y'all got a visual of what Herod's temple was like? In Jesus' day, the temple in Jerusalem is called Herod's temple, right? And you got the outer court, and then you got the inner court, okay? As you walk into the temple, there's four rooms that are in the temple. 
There's a room for wood on the left, okay? And it's, it's just, it's wood storage. They keep wood in there. Why? Because they have to have the wood dry. Because there's an offering, and every morning and every evening there's an offering. And the fire shall ever be burning on the altar, it shall never go out. How I many you know that's Leviticus, right? And, and, and the fire, because they do a morning and an evening oblation. Everybody familiar with that terminology? Nine o'clock in the morning they do an offering. Three o'clock in the afternoon they do an offering. That's every day, right? Seven days a week there's offerings done. And there's two veils I'll talk about that. There's the Kaluma veil and the Catapetasma veil. Uh, but behind the Kaluma veil would be where the offerings would be. That's a thin veil. And they would do the morning and the evening offerings there. And this room for wood was to keep the wood dry. Because in the rainy season, how I many you know you got to have a place for dry wood? You can't burn wet wood. Okay? So watch this. This room's for wood. That's wood storage. On this room, is a, on the right, is a room for salt. And that's a salt storage. And the salt storage was, remember, remember when Jesus said, if the salt has lost its savor, it's not good for anything but what? To be trodden under the feet of men. And the outer court, the whole thing was done in marble. It was an amazing structure, but there's a ton of marble out there. Mar tons of marble, right? How many know in the rainy season, marble gets wet? What happens? Super slippery. So the salt that had been used up, right, and wasn't good for preservative any longer, was still good for traction. So they kept salt in this room, and they would sprinkle it on the marble during the rains. Why? So people didn't slip and fall. It was, a, it was an anti-skid. Is that okay to say it that way? Over here on the other side, then there was another room. It was called the room for questions and answers. It was the Q&A room. And you could go in there and find questions and answers. Who was in there? Jesus at 12 years old would have been in the room for questions and answers. Remember? 12 years old. And he's in with the doctors and the scribes and the Pharisees. What are they doing? Asking him. He's asking them questions and giving them answers. I don't know if you ever read that or not. He's asking the questions that they can't answer. And he's giving them the answers to it. Isn't that an amazing day? How old is he? 12 years old. Can you see him in the room with the doctors and the lawyers, right? Here's these men with long flowing beards and this little 12-year-old boy, and he's asking them questions and they're pondering, I don't know, I can't give you the answer. So he gives the answer. And they're baffled by this. Little boy, how old are you? <laughs> well, on my mother's side, never mind. <laughs> Y'all understand what I'm saying? On my mother's side, I'm 12 years old. But on my father's side, I'm Alpha and Omega. <laughs> on my mother's side, I'm just a little boy. But on my father's side, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, I'm sure they're freaking out over this little boy, right? That's some, I could preach right now. Okay. <laughs> but but you got to understand, there's something amazing about this. The other side would have been a room for rest and relaxation. If you were spending long periods of time in the temple, you could go in there and relax. Who knows when Jesus comes to the temple for the very first time for Mary, for her purification and for the, for the circumcision of Christ, right? They bring him in. There's a little old lady there. Who knows her name? Come on, it's Anna, Anna the prophetess. And she had been in the temple and never left, but was there day and night with fastings, right? She would have been in that room for rest and relaxation when she got tired. Then she'd go back out in the temple for worship. Then she'd come back in and rest, but she never left. She departed not from the temple. That's what it says, right? That would have been the fourth room. Once you come past those rooms, now there's a court, there's a, there's a, there's a gate there, like a, you'd come through that. And this is the gate of women, right? The women were allowed so far, but that's all the farther they were allowed. Right? Because women, it was a caste society. So the Jewish women were allowed that far. Right? Now you go past that and what? There's a gate for men. Then there's another gate for priests. The men were allowed to go farther, but they were only allowed to go so far. Then there was the gate for the priests. Right? And the priests would go, be in that upper part where the steps were. And the steps led up then to what was called the holy place. 
It was in the holy, the holy place was separated from the court of the priest by a veil called the Kaluma veil, K-A-L-U-M-M-A, if I remember right, Kaluma veil. And there at the Kaluma veil would have been, well, that's where the offerings would have been made. So if you were a Jewish man bringing a sacrifice for your family, right, you would come past that, that outer court, you would come past, that's, if you were a Samaritan, you're actually allowed in the outer court, that's all the farther you were allowed, but they never came because there was so much contention, right? But then there's a, that, then they would come past the four rooms to the court of women, past the court of women to the court of men, and they would come to the bar, there was actually a bar there, and they would come to the bar and they would hand their sheep to the priest, who would then take their sheep and they would offer it at the sacrifice, at the place of sacrifice. Y'all follow all that? Okay, so what would happen is the priest would out up to the Columba Vale where, the, where that sacrifice would be made, then, and that would be in the holy place. But then there's another veil. The Bible says that it was the width of a man's hand, so we assume it about six inches wide, okay? It's 60 feet long and 30 feet high, and it's six inches wide. This is an amazing veil. It's called the Catapetasma Veil. It separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. Y'all okay with where I'm at? The Holy of Holies would have been the place, watch this, the Ark of the Covenant was not there in Herod's temple. The Ark of the Covenant had already been lost, okay? During the time of Jesus, there would have been no Ark of the Covenant. You all right with that, right? But watch this. That would have still been the place where they offered sacrifices. That would have still been once a year on what day? What day did they go in there? Come on, the Day of Atonement, right? Right? They would have went in on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and, and when they went in on the Day of Atonement, they would offer sacrifice. It's kind of a cool thing. But they would, take, they would take a sacrifice, and there's a, it was all set up how it would be, and there's a special sheeps and everything. I won't even get into all that. But they would take the blood of that then, and they would put it on two goats. Who remembers any of this? They would put blood on two goats, right? They would put blood on one goat, and they would kill it, right? And that would be the sacrifice. Then they would put blood as well on the other goat, and that's called the scapegoat. And they would take that goat and chase it out of the country, out, of, out into the wilderness where it would wander off. And, and they, would, they would hope it would fall off a cliff. He was carrying away the sins of mankind. How many know Jesus was represented by both? Because one, the sin was transferred on and the other carried them away. How many know our sin was transferred on to Jesus and he carried them away? Yay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But anyway, it's all symbolic and I could go into all the symbolism. I love that kind of stuff. But in the process of all that, what we would find is, as that temple was set up, it was a very special and ornate place for worship. The Samaritans wanted to come and be a part of that. But because of the schism, because of the, yeah, it's all division. It's just, uh, it's terrible. It kept, it kept the people who wanted in out. And Jesus said, I'm going to Samaria. Why? Because this gospel's for everybody. Nobody's going to be left out. Nobody should be left out. Let me tell you this, and I think it's a big word. I believe that no matter who comes into the house of God, there's a place where we welcome and receive them. And I realize that we may have cultural differences and there may be a whole bunch of things. But I can tell you something. I love the idea that Jesus broke straight through cultural diversities. Amen. He's walking through Samaria, which is absolutely taboo to every Jew. Even the disciples who have been following him are like, what's up with this, right? Now watch, let's read a little bit farther. I wanna show you a couple of things. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it's about the sixth hour, okay? They're coming through Samaria. They've obviously been trucking through Samaria a little wise, because if you look at the map, Sychar's a little ways north, past the, past the provincial lines. And as he comes through, he comes to the well. It's, it's now the sixth hour. What time is it? It's noon. How, you all know this, right? The hours of the day started at 6 a.m., went to 6 p.m. The hours of the night, what, from 6 p.m.? Yeah, right. Yeah, the watches of the day and the watches of the night. Yeah, yeah, six and six and six and six. That will work, right? Okay, yeah, that, that would fit, okay? I was divided by threes, okay? Because there's the first watch of the night, second watch of the night, third watch of the night, fourth watch of the night. Everybody familiar with that? You guys okay with that? First watch of the night, 6, a, 6 p.m. to six, to to to, uh, to 9 p.m., 9 to 12, 12 to 3, and 3 to 6. Jesus comes walking on the water where the disciples see him out on the sea, fourth watch of the night, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Everybody okay? 6 a.m. starts the day. As a matter of fact, can I say this? Their day started at 6 p.m. Y'all know that, right? It was the evening and the morning, right? The evening and the morning, if you go to Genesis, the evening and the morning were the first day, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Their day started at 6 p.m., still does that. Like their Sabbath starts at 6 p.m. on Friday night and ends at 6 p.m. on Saturday night. Y'all familiar with that, right? If you follow that culturally, okay, that, that still stands for Jewish, uh, strong, strong Jewish traditions, okay? Okay, so it's about, it's about noon. He's coming to the well. Now, it's a neat story here because what we'll find is if, if you watch this, okay, there comes a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me to drink. There's two things I want to touch on here. One is that she comes to the well. I think it's an amazing thing. How many know at noon, no one came to the well? The women were the folks who, who got water. That was the normal tradition. Men never carried water. As a matter of fact, you'll find, and I think I might have touched on this at one point, but on Thursday night before he suffers, he says, go into the city, you'll find a man carrying a pitcher of water. The reason they said that, that Jesus could say that was because men didn't carry water. Women carried water. That was a woman's job, okay? And culturally in the day, if, if a man carried water, there was something, either his wife was sick or there was something, maybe his wife had passed away and he had to do it. But it wasn't normal for a man to carry water. The second thing is, is that women, and I say this, never came at noon. They, they came to the well twice a day. They would come early in the morning for the morning's water, Right? Somewhere early in the morning, they would come and they would get their, their enough water to take care of all the chores and the cooking and everything that they need to do during the day. They would come back in the evening to get water and that would be to take care of the evening stuff that they would need. But they never carried water. No one, no one came to the well at noon. Usually at noon, the well is barren. There's nobody around. This woman comes at noon. There's a reason that she comes at noon and the reason she comes at noon is real simple. This is a woman with a sordid past. So she felt like if I come at noon when nobody's there, there won't be all the wagging tongues. Is that okay to say that? Y'all understand what I'm saying? In her mind, and it, you can read this, so you could probably read 93 commentaries and probably 91 of them would, would touch on this. But it basically says that it would be an, a natural thing that the, the ladies would have got together. If she'd have been there, they would have... Ah. She would have been more of an outcast than anything. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So, so rather than put up with that, she just waits till they're all gone and then before they come back and she comes at noon. She's gonna come at noon to get water. Watch this. Jesus shows up at the well and the woman comes to the well. Now watch this. 
He is obviously a Jew. His dress, his apparel is even going to signify him as a traveling rabbi. You okay with that? He's going to be signified because of his apparel. They're going to see him as a traveling teacher or a rabbi, right? So, so she knows she's perfectly safe. Who's ever gone to a church service thought you were perfectly safe? <laughs> I can tell you. Um, oh, I don't know how many different times I've, I've, I've got a chance to talk with people who thought, because we, we've had, I'll tell you this, we've had some amazing Christmas Eve services here. That's fun. Jesus shows up on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and uh, uh, I've had people, I mean, just weeping and bawling, said, I just, I came because I thought it was a musical. Okay. <laughs> you know? uh, this year, Pastor Dan's preaching on Christmas Eve. Uh, and he's done my Christmas Eve service several, several years. But just a neat time. It's, it's kind of interesting, but Christmas is on a Sunday this year. Yeah, so that'll be neat, okay? We're, we're going we're gonna to do one service. We're going to back it up a little bit. I'll fill you in on all that later. But I'm pretty excited about it because I think it's going to be. So that's Saturday night because we're normally having Saturday night service anyway. I think the house is going to rock. We're going to have a time because I think, I think that's a very special moment. But in the process of that, I guess what I'm trying to say is that people have entered in thinking they're in a safe place only to get their whole world rocked. This woman thought she was incredibly safe but her whole world is about to get rocked. But I want to show you why. Because I think to me this is an amazing truth. And I'll show you something I think is really cool. Watch this. She comes to draw water and Jesus talked to her. Taboo. Not allowed to talk to her. You're not allowed to talk to her. She's someone that you're not allowed to have a conversation with. He's such a rule breaker. (laughs) Isn't that fun? I want to talk to you about that. Please hear this all in the right way, because we could really hear this wrong and think, well, then we have a right to go out and break rules and whatever. He wasn't breaking any law. He was breaking culture. Do you understand what I just said? Yeah. He's crushing tradition under his foot. Yay, God. This was a man-made tradition. It was not biblical. It was never the plan or the purpose of God. Man had taken something that was good and perverted it, and he was just turning it around. I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. Let me tell you, first time I ever went to a church where they had a bunch of instruments on the platform, I thought, what is up with this? They got a whole band. Because church has an organ. They do not have drums and guitars. <laughs> because I didn't ever, how many know, if you grew up like I grew up, you never saw drums and guitars. We didn't have any of that. We had an organ. And we played very slow stuff. <laughs> and it was reverent and holy. You know what I mean? So, so I, and even, even when I got, when I started get, and I got saved, even where, where Pastor Lori had been at church, you know, they had an organ and a piano, so they stretched me. Okay, but and they and they play a little more upbeat stuff. But then we went to a convention and they had drums and guitars and and, and I think a, a horn and all kind of style a trumpet. You know what I mean? I'm like, what in the world is up with this? And they were playing a lot. They weren't singing out of the hymnal. They, they were singing off the wall. <laughs> what what is up with that? Because <laughs> right? that that's come on that stretched me. I wasn't used to any of that and very contemporary stuff and it was upbeat and I and I was starting to like it and that bothered me. I thought no, you're not supposed to like church music. Okay, because <laughs> it, it stretched me at 18 years. I'm 18 years old, right? 
if you, if you study music at all, one of the guys that probably brought contemporary music to the forefront of the Christian arena was a guy named Bebo Norman, Larry Norman. If Randy was here, he could tell you the whole history of that because Randy's really big on, on a lot of that kind of stuff. But Larry Norman, they called him Bebo Norman, he did amazing stuff with that, but he was all but ostracized from the church because it was breaking cultural backgrounds and barriers. It's the same thing Jesus was doing. And just as the church community was rejecting Larry Norman, the same thing happened to Jesus. They couldn't understand, how can you do this? This is culturally. Do you understand where I'm at? Yeah. Sometimes we got to ask ourselves the questions. Watch this. You never throw the baby out with the bathwater. But at the same time, some of the stuff that we have labeled, I want to say this. You need to know not only what you're doing, but why you're doing it. Does that make sense? Like, honestly, even, again, remember that I said a little while ago when we first started today, I was talking about the idea that 20 years from now, church is probably going to look a whole lot different than it does today. Because some of us are actually reviewing the idea of what did the early church look like? What does the modern church look like? And how did we get so far apart? Because if we study the book of Acts, which is to be our role, our model, how did we get where we are today? And some of these things, some of the things that we do, we just still do because it was cultural or traditional. Can I, can I really mess with your head a minute? Okay, watch this. How good friend is, I might have, did I talk about my friend that has got a, I teach a lot of different classes, so bear with me, but, but his, he's from Cameroon, which is a country in Africa. His father's a chief. Did we talk about that here? Cool, let me tell you about this. His name, his name to me is Toby because he's from Cameroon and his real name is this long. <laughs> okay, so to me he's Toby. And a bunch of us that know him know him as Toby, right? So Toby uh, uh, came here from Cameroon. He's got a bunch of brothers and sisters today. The, the, their father is the chief of a tribe, but he's very wealthy. And because of that, he's sending his children over to, over to America to get educated and, and, and get the best education possible, bring it back. You know what I mean? And some of them have stayed here and some of them have gone back. He's got quite a few children. And what happened was Toby got radically saved. He didn't get saved. He got radically saved. And he became a national evangelist for the Church of God of Prophecy, which is the group I was from. And in that, I mean, he, his whole world got rocked. And he was very, just a very intelligent young man, doing very, very well, really got on fire for God, was traveling doing a bunch of things and his his he's going to make a trip now back to Africa and hold several revivals through Africa right one of them being in his father's village okay y'all follow what I just said it's not a small village it's a rather large village he invites me to go with him right he wants me to go with him but at that point in my life I think the trip would have been like three thousand bucks okay at that point in my life it might as well have been three million because I could have come up with either the same way I had just impossibilities you know what I mean so I opted not to go but I said man keep me informed tell me what's going on so Toby went when he came back I said Toby man how did it go with with the with the with the revivals you know how did things go and he started telling me oh it was amazing Pastor Don it was awesome I said cool he, and he started telling me, he said, we were here, we were there, we were there. And we went to my father's village and had an amazing time there. And I said, cool. I said, what happened? He said, well, he said, when, when, when they had everything set up, he said, my father, who's the chief of the village, said, my son is coming to hold a revival. Everyone go to the revival. 
Guess what happens when you're the chief of the village? If you're the chief of the village in Cameroon and, and you're the law and you say go, guess what people do? They all go, right? And so he says, the place was packed out. Everybody came. It was amazing. And he said, and the first night, he said, my father got saved. I said, cool, Toby, that's amazing. He said, by the end of the revival, he said seven of his 13 wives got saved. (laughs) What'd you think about that? Because that's not unusual, right? Come on, in a tribe in Cameroon, right? If you're the king, right, or 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 the chief of the tribe, you might have 13 wives. What do you do with that? That's what I said to Toby. I said, whoa, what do you do with that? He said, some things you let God sort out. Yeah. Right? Because culturally, we can't even wrap our head around that. If you're an American and have 13 wives, you're a Mormon. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Roll the tape back. Okay. okay. But, 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 but watch this because there's, there's some things there, and I'm not being critical and being funny, but watch this. In the process of that, I, I don't even know how you would deal with something like that. Right. So some things you just got to let God deal with. That's right. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yes. Some of the things that we do, and I've taught this. We don't need to know just what we do, but we need to know why we do it. Make sense what I just said? Absolutely. You, need, you don't need to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it. Yes. Watch this. I'm not going to mess with this right now because I don't have time. Maybe it would be neat to cheat. I might even go into this later on in the second part, but watch this. When I first got born again, again, not, not picking back on my history, don't hear this the wrong way, raised up as a Catholic, I never even heard the word rapture. I, I didn't even know what that meant, right? Or how that looked or anything. So then when I got born again, they taught me about uh, what, we would, what we would refer to as rapture. How many know that's not even a word in the Bible? Rapture is from a Latin derivative, raptoro, which means to be caught up, okay? Just so you know that. And it's based out of 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17. We could stop there. I, I don't want to get into a whole bunch of that. But they said, here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come. We're going to get raptured. We're going to go be with him for seven years at the Mary's Supper of the Lamb. At the end of that time, we're going to come back. Jesus is riding on a white horse, going to set up a millennial reign in Jerusalem and rule and reign with a rod of iron for a thousand years. Then the devil's going to be loose and then uh, for a season deceive a multitude as of the sands of the seas and then at the end of that time uh, the new Jerusalem's coming down he- the he- this earth is going to melt with a fervent heat and we're going to live forever in a new Jerusalem I said cool I can live with that so I thought that's exciting then after a while I was probably saved about five six seven eight years and somebody came on and challenged that said no we're going to be here for the first three and a half years Okay, and at the end of three and a half years in the middle of the tribulation, they're going to offer an unclean sacrifice. It's going to be the Antichrist to offer an unclean sacrifice in the temple. It's the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And when that happens, then Jesus is going to come. We're going to be raptured. We're going for three and a half years. Who's ever heard that? Right? Okay, so are we going for seven or are we going for three and a half? Then they came along and said, well, it might be that we're going to be here through the tribulation. And then Jesus is going to come. We're going to meet him. Then he's going to come back here and the marriage supper is going to be here. So what's that? There's premillennial. There's a, there's, I'm sorry, there's a, there's a pre-trib rapture, a mid-trib rapture, and a post-trib rapture. And they can't all be right. But I have friends that believe one way, one way, and one way. Does that make sense? You know, some believe pre-trib, some believe mid-trib, some believe post-trib. My question is, what do you believe? And not only what do you believe, but why do you believe what you believe? Do you understand what I just said? Now I'm messing with you, huh? <laughs> okay. Here's the deal. When I talk about these things, one of the things that's been a hallmark for me, and because of my background and my history, 
One of the things that's really big for me is, I think this, most of us don't believe what we believe. We believe what somebody we love and respect told us to believe. Do you understand what I just said? Somebody we love, somebody we respect, somebody that we've placed in a high place in our life who spoke into us, said it this way, so that's what we believe. But there's a place where you open up the book, right? I took one of my mentoring classes through that whole tribulation, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and I took them through. I says, how many of you believe pre-trib? And we started talking about it. I said, give me a scripture. Tell me why you believe that. I got some very educated people in those classes. They couldn't tell me any. So I said, how many believe mid-trib? And some raised their hand and said, why? And they, they said, well, blah, blah, blah. And I said, give me a scripture. Nobody give me a scripture. And I said, how many believe post-trib? And then I took them to Mark or, or Matthew and, and, and took a couple of scriptures from Matthew 24 and Matthew 13, showed them a couple of things there. And as we talked about it, I said, you need to know. And I wasn't even trying to prove any kind of theory on pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. Because you can buy a book and it'll tell you any one of them. You, you'll find, if you buy enough books, you'll find somebody to agree with you. I used to do it all the time. I had, I had 700 some books in my library at one time. I was very proud of my library. As a matter of fact, it was a source of pride in my life. I had to get rid of it. And I won't even get into all that, but God convicted me about it. I bought all these books. You know why? Because I had certain theories in my heart that I believed God would show me. I need a book to back it up. If you buy enough books, you can get one to back it up. I got a book one time that said four people were crucified with Christ, not two. Because Mark said there were two thieves and Luke said there were two robbers. So you had two thieves, two robbers, and Jesus. It's in a book. The guy started a religion in, in California based off of that premise and had followers following him. Isn't that ridiculous? Let me talk to you. I'm simply saying, not only do you need to know what you believe, you need to know why you believe it. Do you understand what I just said? You've spent, you spent 11 and a half weeks with an amazing teacher, Pastor Dan. The, guy's, the guy scares me. He's that amazing. He scares me. <laughs> and in the process of that, what I tell you is, what he has shared with you is to pour into you it ought to jumpstart some things in your heart, but you've got to open up this book and know for yourself what you believe. You okay with what I just said? Watch this, please. Whether it's me, whether it's Pastor Dan, whether it's Todd, whether it's Rick, whether it's Dave, whether it's Lisa, there's amazing people that'll pour out from this platform. Lisa's actually going to preach Sunday morning. I'll, I'll be here. I'll be here, but I'm going to have Lisa preach Sunday morning because a lot of you haven't met Lisa, and you need to know her. She is a party waiting to happen. Okay? <laughs> she is just absolutely so much fun. But in the process of that, what I want to share, share with you, and I think it's really, really important that you catch this, is that any one of us could teach you some things, but there's a place, and I so challenge you, please open up the book and get it for yourself. Because if not, you're living on somebody else's revelation. And as soon as that revelation gets challenged, you won't know what to do with that. So you've got to get it for yourself. You okay when I say that? How did I get there? I have no idea. Go back, to, go back to chapter 4, okay? So he says, he comes to a woman of Samaria. Uh, he comes to, to cometh, then there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me to drink. That's a phrase that burns in my heart. Let me ask you a question. How do you give Jesus to drink? What did he really mean there? What's that? He's going to talk to her about her having living water. If, if you'd ask me to give you a drink, I could give you living water. But he said to her, give me to drink. 
Is there a place in your life where you can give him to drink? Do you understand what I just said? That's a challenging thought right there. Kind of one of them head swimming things. But I'm telling you, there's a place in where you're submitting your life, laying your life down, and it's feeding him. And I hope that makes sense to you to a place where this is, can I say this? If you, if you were to come up to the place, ultimately, this, this would be a phrase that burns in my heart. God gave one son to gain many sons and daughters. The whole purpose of his coming was to bring you into his family. You know that, right? I mean, there's a, there's a place where we just come to that understanding. The whole purpose for his coming was to bring us into his family. He gave one son to gain many sons and daughters. It was the original sowing and reaping. Okay, you understand? God's a good sower. Every seed reproduces after its own kind. Jesus was the seed that fell to the earth and died to reproduce after his kind. Right? So our job is to look like him. That makes sense to me. When he says to the woman, give me to drink, I read that oftentimes and I think, man, Lord, I want to I live a life that gives you refreshment. I want to live a life that refreshes you. I, you work really, really hard to buy your daughter a car. I'm just picking. So you, you work really, really hard. You get a lot of extra money together. You go out and you buy a really, really nice car for your daughter. And she says, thanks, Dad. And then she parks it in the backyard and 20 years later, it looks like a rust bucket, and she never drove it. How frustrated would you be? Like, do you understand what I just said? You worked really, really hard to get her that car. And she left it in the backyard and never even enjoyed it. Anybody see an analogy I'm trying to build? The other side is you work really, really hard to buy her a car, and she gets that car, and it's her prized possession. Oh my gosh, Dad, I can't believe you bought me this car. This is an amazing car. And constantly she just reaffirms, Dad, I can't believe you did this for me. This is like amazing. Thank you so much for what you've done. I'm refreshed. Versus it's sitting in the backyard becoming a rust bucket. You understand what I just said? There's an analogy there. He says, give me to drink. I believe that there's a place where you and I can live such a life that it's refreshing to the Lord. Have you ever thought about this? What do you do that makes God smile? I will tell you there are certain things in my life, and that's a huge phrase to me, but there are certain things in my life that I've, I've felt like when you did it, God smiled. Like, that made God smile. I don't know if that does anything for you, but that like so messes with me. I love that stuff. Where you're, where you're reaching out and touching somebody, watch this. I have a friend that's a multimillionaire, and, uh, and he does a lot of things for a lot of people. And uh, I purposed in my heart that, and I, I didn't know who he was when I first met him. He actually came here, and, and we got hooked up and talking about some things. And then I found out his businesses and all that kind of stuff. I don't really want to get into all of it, but I purposed in my heart because I watched how people have tapped into him. And I thought, I don't ever want to do that. I don't ever want to be friends with somebody for what I can get from them. Do you understand what I just said? 
there's a place where we carry ourselves with an integrity that you bless people with no expectation of return. Because if I, if I only bless you so I can get something from you, there's an ulterior motive there and it takes away from everything. But isn't it a great day when you can bless somebody who has absolutely nothing to give and it's just because it's a place out of love? I think those are the times when God really smiles. I, I hope that makes sense. He says to the woman at Samaria, he says, hey lady, can you give me a drink? Okay? Watch her response. Okay? Oh, for his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. That probably had to happen or the woman wouldn't even came to the well if they were all there. Do you understand? Watch this. I must needs go through Samaria. Everybody see that? Why? Because God had a divine appointment for Jesus. Do you understand this is a divine appointment? Oh, I got to talk to you. <laughs> there are places where you feel so prompted to go somewhere, right? You were on your way to Walmart and God said, go to Target. Yeah. Who's ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You just, you got so thumped in your heart. Like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm at Target. You know what I mean? Or, or, or I'm at Kohl's or whatever it might be. And I, it's, I know I can get it cheaper at Walmart. Why am I doing here at Kohl's? But you just knew in your heart you had to go to Kohl's. Or you had to go, because Kohl's is right across from, tar, from Walmart. So I guess I'll use it right here. Uh, but there's a place where you just purpose in your heart. This is where I'm supposed to be. And all of a sudden, when you walk in the door, you run into somebody. And there's a conversation that takes place. And you get the aha. I love the ahas. The ahas are amazing to me. But you get that aha. Now I know why I'm at Kohl's. <laughs> Make sense? God had a divine appointment for his son. You're going through Samaria. I only do what I see the father do. We're going through Samaria. Why? I don't know yet. I just know I'm supposed to go through Samaria. So now he's on his way through Samaria. Oh, listen, guys, go get some meat. Here, I'm coming to the well. I'm going to get a drink. Here comes the woman. Now I know why I'm here. Everybody get that? I hope that happens to you. I hope there's times in your life where you're doing something that seems absolutely foreign to you, and you don't even know why you're doing it, and then all of a sudden you get the aha, because ahas are fun. <laughs> it's like, yay, I did it right. <laughs> Do you ever feel that? Like there are other times when you go, I did hear God. <laughs> Isn't that a neat? Like there's something to that that's just absolutely phenomenal. And you know what? I've been doing that for years, and it's still phenomenal. I hope you never lose the awe of hearing from your heavenly father. Divine appointments. We went into the hospital yesterday uh, because we wanted to check on, on Sharon and, and there was another situation I needed to deal with and it's uh, Jackie's uh, mother's husband and, and so we went to see Butch as well. While we're there, guess what? Ran into a couple other people. I ran into a lady, watch this, that I knew from years back on the other side of the state and I know she's living over here but I hardly ever see her and I ran into her and I said hey what are you doing in here and her dad who was an old friend of mine had a seizure guess what aha <laughs> do you get it because we'd fooled around we didn't get down there right away there were some other things that were going on we took care of them whatever and by the time I got there I just feel like it was a divine setup and the, the guy's name is Kermit. You can't forget someone named Kermit because every time I say his name, I think of a green frog. <laughs> but, but neat guy. Got a chance to go in, talk with him, pray with him, just releasing the kingdom over him, watching God touch him. It's just a really, really neat moment, right? And God's in the midst of that. We're walking out of the ER because we were in the ER. We're walking out of the ER and there's a girl sitting on her bed with her head in her hands and she's crying. I said, Dick, stop. 
We walk in, release faith over her. Terrible pain in her ear. I said, is it changing? She said, yeah. I said, yay, God. We left. You know what I mean? Hit and run. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but I just believe in that, where you just go for it. And no matter where you're going, you're just releasing the kingdom of God and letting God just flow through you. And it's a place. But sometimes these encounters were setups. Yeah. I love the Holy Ghost setup stuff. This is a Holy Ghost setup. I, I could even talk to you if you really want to get if you want to if you want to catch all the analogies. This woman represents the church. Yeah, we'll have to go there. I'll get to that. Okay, I'll get to that. But she represents the church, and God's got a plan that's in brides are found at wells. If you go back and you oh, I'm going to get on this, and I I really had no intention of it, right? But you can go down through. I'll show you several different places. We'll talk about it, in the, maybe in the second half. We'll talk about brides being found at wells. She represents the church. I'll show you this in a little while. It's fine. Okay, okay. Watch this. I, I got to keep reading, though, or I'm going to get all messed up. Okay. Then saith the woman of Samaria, and them, How is it that you, being a Jew, would even ask drink of me? I'm a woman of Samaria. The Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans, right? They're not supposed to be having a conversation, but they are. Why aren't they having, why aren't they supposed to have a conversation? Because some man decided we would split cultures, but it was never the will, the plan, or the purpose of heaven. You follow what I just said? That's huge, man. You got to get that. If there's something that'll grip your heart, understand this. Jesus didn't see a Samaritan woman. He saw a woman. Please hear what I just said. Jesus didn't just see someone from another culture. He saw someone that God created and loves. Please hear that. Oh, that speaks volumes to my heart right now. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you'd have asked of him, and he'd have given you living water. He'd have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? I don't know. I, the, I love the phrase, the well is deep. I could tell you something. If you're dealing with Jesus, let me tell you, the well is deep. There's a deep well. There's a lot to draw from. If you study this, this is Jacob's, Jacob's well he gave to his son Joseph. And it's not a well that's fed by a spring. It's actually one that would catch rainwater and dew. Heavy, heavy condensation. And I've studied that well just to get a little bit of an understanding of it. Understand that Abraham dug wells. Jacob built altars. But Jacob got to drink from the wells his father dug. I believe today we're drinking wells that our father from, we're drinking from wells our fathers dug, but we're digging wells that our children after us are going to drink from for generations to come. Jacob's well was still there. You follow what I just said? Yeah. I believe that, and most of you that know my heart know, everything inside of me says I'm living for a generation that is yet to be born. But I want to push my ceiling so high that their floor is the best possible floor they could have. You've got to live with that in mind.
that you're, you're raising up a generation behind you. You want to give them so much more than you got when you came into this thing. There's a place where we're pushing our ceiling. I, I so want to elevate my ceiling that their floor is the best possible floor we can give them. I want to show you something that I think is amazing. She says this. The woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Where, where are you getting living water? Right? Watch this. Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Right? Are you greater than, watch what she said, our father Jacob. She's a Samaritan, but she's still claiming her Jewish roots. Y'all follow what I just said? Why? Because those roots are her connection to God. She's still claiming her connection to God. Remember, over and over, they talk about our, our father Abraham. You'll hear the Pharisees talk about all, our, our father Abraham. Why? Because that was their connection to God. She's saying, this is our father Jacob. We're drinking from his well. Y'all get this? That's a huge thing because she's saying, I might be a Samaritan, but I'm connected to God. I still got a connection. Jesus could have said, that's why I'm here. Because <laughs> you still got a connection. I would have went around if you didn't have a connection, but God has a plan. There's a place where we got to understand is that anybody that you meet has a connection. They might not know it. I don't care. I don't care if it's a drug addict struck out on heroin. I've, I've had drunks walk into the church. That's fun for me. I, I love to pray for drunks. I don't know if you've ever prayed for a drunk before. It's actually kind of fun. Watch God sober them up. <laughs> It's, I've seen it bunches of times. Who does any street ministry? Don't, you probably, Don, you ever pray for a drunk? I don't even have to ask. <laughs> okay. But watch this. There's a place where, and, and you get to minister to people and God, I don't, oh my gosh. Here's a true story. It's kind of fun. Uh, I was pastoring an inner city church in Allentown. Just was there for one year. And uh, big old, it was a big old Lutheran church. I mean, it was huge. It had one of them, the ceiling in it was a dome ceiling, and it was like 28 feet high to peak, you know what I mean? And it come around, and then it had a big alcove in the back behind the pulpit, you know what I mean? An alcove when I say that, and it was cylindrical like this, and, and, and I'm telling you, for me, because most of you know my style of preaching, and I've calmed down since then, uh, <laughs> but, but I would preach, and that would echo all over the place. <laughs> Oh, it was fun. And it would echo and bounce off the wall. I could preach and then hear it. I'd give an altar call and I'd respond to it. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. it just bounced and came back. You know what I mean? It was so fun. So we'd leave the doors open all the time. I had more people on the porch of the church because we had, you know, everything back then had a big porch and the, and the steps that came down. It was an old inner city church. And they would, they would hang out on the porch and they'd be smoking cigarettes and drinking beer and they'd be hanging out there. And some of the ushers were saying, we'll get them out of here, Pastor. I said, No. Leave them there. They're the only ones listening. Okay, never mind. Okay, okay. But, but to me, it was huge. One of them decided to stagger in, and he was pretty well blitzed, okay? And, and, and Mabel Wallace, about 80 years old, Jamaican woman, hard to understand. She, she went over to him. She said, uh, and, and she's talked in a very Jamaican accent. She's asking him, you know, have you come in because you want Jesus? And, uh, and he, he started talking and he said some things. And, and she said, well, the first thing you got to do is, she said, you, you want to give him all your money for missions. Okay. Because <laughs> she was the missionary leader. Right. And I said, Sister Wallace, she said, he's just going to spend it on beer. Okay. <laughs> Might as well give it. And that was her phrase. Might as well give it to God rather than the devil. <laughs> so it's, it's a fun day 
When you can watch God touching the hearts of people, just like that man who staggered in off the street. He never came back, but I will tell you, on that night, sobered up, tears, God moving in his heart. I don't know what ever happened to him. We never were able to follow up with him. But I can tell you this, on that night, he encountered God. Does that make sense to say that? And I believe it's an encounter that will never leave him. And the Holy Spirit has something to draw on the rest of his life. Y'all follow what I just said? That's an amazing day to me. This woman is having an encounter with God because Jesus was willing to break all the traditions. She's saying, are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well? Jesus answered and said, whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. What's he saying? He's saying, once you've tasted of me, Everything else changes. You'll never have to thirst again. To me, the amazing part of that verse is this. I'll say this. You may be in this class. You may be watching by the Internet. And there's been a time in your life where you drifted away from your relationship with God. You've drifted away. You got frustrated. Maybe there was a church hurt in your life. Maybe it was just family situations, whatever it might have been. And you found yourself just kind of drifting back to an old pattern. And sometimes we understand that. I, I, I get sometimes amazed because I've watched people who have gotten their whole world rocked and then find them six months later going back to old patterns and old habits and think, how does that even happen? I've watched incredible ministers, people that I love, friends of mine, who, who preached the gospel, power of God flowed through them. And now today they're on the outside looking in rather than on the inside drawing. You know what I mean? And, and, and I can't even fathom that sometimes in my mind. But I do understand those kind of things happen. And there's a place there. But I've got to tell you something. And I, and I understood this. I, got, I, started coming, I started coming to the Pentecostal church in August of 1977. It wasn't until February of 78 that I got born again. But what had happened is God had really touched my heart. August, September, October. In November, somewhere in November, Pastor Lori and I broke up. And I purposed in my heart, I was still going to go to church because God was doing something in me. I wasn't born again. I hadn't, I hadn't watched this, prayed to prayer or made any kind of profession. But God was already shifting my heart. I was changing the way I saw things. But I purposed I was going to go, I, I was going to, I was still going to go to church. But Lori and I had broke up, and I'd met another girl, and, and I won't even get into all that. There was just some things there that I thought, well, you know. And, and anyway, I went back because my lifestyle prior to, go to meeting Lori was a lot of partying. So I thought, well, I'll go to a party, but I'm not going to drink much or anything. Maybe, maybe I'll have a couple of beers, you know what I mean? You all follow what I'm saying? Because I, that had still been part of my life. And, and so what happened was I went to this party, and I was miserable, and I was so mad at Lori because now I can't even be a good sinner. <laughs> like, I want to be a sinner. I just can't be a good one. Okay? Let me tell you something. Once you've encountered God, you can't be as good a sinner as you used to be. I hope that makes sense to anybody that's listening to me. It, like, messed me up. I, we, only, we were broke up for about a week. So, don't, you know, it wasn't a big deal. You know what I mean? But what happened was is that, you know, there's a thing that was such a draw in my heart, and I realized that now that God had touched my life, watch this, I, I hadn't made Jesus the Lord of my life. I really haven't. I haven't, I haven't surrendered my life to him, but there was a place where he'd already touched. There's such an encounter with God. It changed the way I saw everything. I've got to tell you something. When I read this, and I, and I, I, I see what he's saying here, 
He's saying something that I think is incredible. Whoever drinks of the water that I give shall never thirst, but the water that I give shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I had begun to taste of that water. I hadn't drunk of it. I just began to taste of it. But it was changing everything. I can tell you that on the night that I got born again in February of 1978, there was such a dramatic change in my heart and in my life. And I realized, I don't ever want to go back to that old life again. And I understand that really, really strong. I don't want to go back to that old life. There's something about this well of water that's inside of us that changes perspective, that changes everything. And that's what I, that's what I preach on more than anything. My perspective on life has changed. If I can change the way you see things, I can change the way you live. And that's huge to me. Watch these next couple verses because it gets kind of cool. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Give me this water. I I want this water. What's the next verse? Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. What does that have to do with give me this water? Because it, hey, I want a drink. Okay, go get your husband. That has nothing to do with the conversation, right? Yeah, it has everything to do with it. Why? Because Jesus perceived where she was in her life. He'd already known in his heart where she was. Go call your husband. He's going to tell her you've had five. He already knows what's going on in her life. He's got a, can I say this? He's got a word of knowledge. He, he was really good at that whole gifts of the spirit thing. Okay. <laughs> Very prophetic. Okay. Okay. But in the process of that, and I want you to understand what's going on because this is kind of cool. He's actually looking at her and some of the things that he's saying, he says, go call your husband. And, and she's like, what does that have to do with it? Everything. Go call your husband. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you've said, well, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. You're living with the sixth guy. And that sayest thou truly. What he just did when he said, go get your husband, was he touched her at the very point of the pain in her life. The pain in her life came from abandonment. The pain in her life came from rejection. The pain in her life came from her feelings of low self-esteem and nobody wants me. Do you understand? She's a woman that's full of pain. She's full of pain. And he's touching her at the point of her pain. Why? Because if he can touch her at the point of her pain, what he really was saying was, you know what? When I touch you, let me be your husband. And you'll never have to worry again. Isn't that an amazing day? Let me be your husband. And he doesn't mean that in a natural sense. It's a spiritual sense. But what he's saying is, let's get me and you have a connection, and then you'll never have another. uh, Come on, you'll never. You won't have to go through abandonment. You'll never have another day where you're alone. You'll never have another moment where you have to feel that kind of stuff. Because here, when I come, I won't reject you. If any man come unto me, I'd in no wise cast them out. It's such an amazing truth to this. But he touches her right at the very point of her pain. It speaks volumes to me. Why? Because we have an incredibly hurting world. A world around us is full of pain. It's full of rejection. What he just said to her touches her at a place that nobody else has been able to touch her. To give to her that which was absolutely necessary, it was lacking in her life. And he didn't only have the answer, he was the answer. I want you to understand that inside of you, you have the answer. You have the answer. 
And God's calling you to release it to a world that's lost and hurting and full of pain, to a world that's in absolute need of everything that's inside of you. I got to tell you something, man. There's an ama- it's an amazing day when we begin to understand we, you're the answer to somebody's prayer. Yes. I hope you understand you are the answer yes. to somebody's prayer. And, and that's a pretty amazing thing. That there are so many places that you can show up and touch people can I talk to you from a pastor's heart and just say this? I walk up to, I'm just going to pick Sally Smith. And she f- understands I'm the pastor of Harvest Chapel. Do you know that she will respond to me absolutely different than she would to you? Yeah. yeah. You can't believe how many people I've met on construction sites. Most of you know I was a drywall contractor for a lot of years. I'd be on construction sites talking to people. And I mean, they're dropping words that they wouldn't drop if they knew, I was, if they knew what my other job was. You understand what I just said? You know? And then they find out I'm a pastor. All of a sudden, their language got all cleaned up. <laughs> all of a sudden, you know what they're telling me? Yeah, I went to vacation Bible school when I was 11. <laughs> you know, and they're telling me about a Sunday school teacher when they were a kid. And, you know, they don't go to church now, but they believe and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? What happened? What happened to the guy that was here yesterday who didn't know I was a pastor? Because you don't look like the same guy. He's the same guy now wearing a mask. Do you understand what I just said? So you come along and you're not the pastor, right? And they're just take the mask off. And now you're carrying, guess what's cool? You don't carry the position, but you carry the Holy Ghost. The same spirit that's in me is in you. The same spirit that's in, you know what I'm saying? Come on, it's not like there's any difference here, right? We're all part of the ministry. Did you know that? Come on, you're a royal priesthood. First Peter 2 and 9, he tells me that. You're part of a royal priesthood. You're a carrier of God's presence. So when you walk in, you can make a difference in somebody's life who had a mask on with me but wouldn't have a mask on with you. I think it's an amazing thing. This woman who felt so safe all of a sudden now has got confronted to the very point of her pain. And she's about ready to have a life transition. So much that she's going to drop her water pot. I think that there's real symbolism to that. We'll talk about some of that. I'm going to show you some things that's cool. Okay? Thou hast well said, I have no husband. you got five husbands. The guy you're with now isn't even really your husband. So you said true. The woman said unto him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> oh, hey, you're a prophet. <laughs> no, I called prophets. Okay, never mind. Okay. <laughs> she says, there's something different about you. Can I say this? Does the world see something different about you? The people that you're walking with, the people that you encounter with any kind of regularity, they ought to see something different about you. Whether you're on a job site, whether you're in school, no matter where you're at, they ought to see something different about you that they don't see from everybody else. That has to be. There was a place where the church in history thought the difference was the way we dressed, the way we did our hair, the, the way we, the way, you know, you know what I'm saying? It was all external. Let me tell you, it's not external. It's internal. You know, we're different because we don't wear makeup. <laughs> Boy, I'm not touching that. <laughs> I almost got myself in trouble. Okay. <laughs> I was preaching one time because the organization we were with when I first met Pastor Louis, they, they weren't allowed to wear makeup. They, they got past some of that, but, but they weren't then. And, and I was preaching, said, if the barn needs painted, paint it. But anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the wrong thing to say, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, but, 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 but there was, I was preaching that. I should, anyway, I didn't mean I was teaching that today. 
<laughs> Here's the deal. In the overall, right, in the overall, we had a perspective that if we look different on the outside, that's what was needful. And it wasn't what was different on the outside. It's what's different is on the inside. I will tell you something, and I'll, I'll say this, and I, I really, really believe this is a strong word, but I don't believe we'll ever attract the world to the church by our dynamic preaching. I don't believe we'll ever attract the world to the church by our great music programs or our singing or our abilities there in worship. I believe that we'll attract the world to the church through the love of God that flows Amen. through his body. Amen. And I believe that's the absolute necessity. If we're going to attract the world to the church, it's got to be the love of God flowing through the body of Christ. That is the will, the plan, and the purpose of God. And we see that and we understand and know here's where we're at. If we can see that by John 13, 35, I think that's the scripture. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one to another, it's got to be an act of love. It's got to be a visible love. It's got to be something that everybody can see. And that's the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory, the love of God flowing through his body, the church. So there's a place where we walk in that. There's a place where we see that. She says some things to him right now that are so absolutely amazing. Okay. The woman says, I perceive you're a prophet. Okay, I'm going to stop here. We're going to take a break. I'm going to come back and hit this and I'll talk to you about brides being found at Wells and why she represents the church at large. Okay, it's 1030. So come on back whenever you're supposed to, because you know that better than I do. Okay, but bells will ring and whistles will blow. Take a break. God bless you. We'll be right back. Then didn't come back, right? That is a beautiful day. It's like perfect. Yeah, if it wasn't for the cameras, we could move it outside. That would be great. Um, I just want to remind everybody again, and I'm going, to, I'm going to be making this announcement several times this week, um, the reception for school students um, at 6.30 next Tuesday. We need you to sign up this week. There's sign-up sheets in the outside if you're able to do that. If not, um, and you find out later, um, email school at harvestchapelpa.com. You can bring your spouse. Um, if you're engaged, you can bring your fiancé. And, um, okay, so um, just, you know, it's real important we get a count on that. So, all right, we're ready to start. Cool. I'm having fun. I hope that you're having fun. Um, let me do something with you. Just as a more maybe along the line of that whole commercial of the upcoming school. Uh, very excited about that. A lot of good things are going to happen. May have a couple more guests who are kind of lining up to come in and be with us as well. But uh, during that, I'm actually, one of the things that's in my heart to do, and it will be completely different, uh, but I will, uh, I will walk you through. I have like six days in a row there during the school, and I will actually walk you through the Feast of Israel and how they apply to us as believers today. Because to understand my identity, watch this, sometimes to understand who I am, I need to know where I came from. Does that make sense? So sometimes even in studying through the feast and seeing how is that ap applicable in my life today, uh, there's incredible symbolism and things that just point to that, understanding the culture and the history of the day. That's a real passion for me. You probably noticed that by now. But it is something that's amazing to me. So I know I'm going to do some of those things in the, uh, in the fall school. Excited about it. It's only six weeks. It'll be a six-week school, but I think it'll be a pretty amazing time. Okay? Uh, excited about it. Uh, go with us back to John 4 then. We're back at John 4, right? Yeah. Yep. So they're having this, they're having this, this discussion going, going, I love it. Go and get your husband. I have no husband. You said, right, you had five and you're living with a guy that's your six. And her, her, 
her response, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> it's just pretty amazing to me. And of course, understand that in her day and her time, that's a, you understand that's one of the highest things she could say, highest compliments she could give to him. Because the prophets were of extremely high regard in the day. So she is giving him a high position, probably as high as she's able. He's dressed as a rabbi, but you're better than a rabbi. You're a prophet. Do you understand? She's elevating him to a higher place, as high as what she might understand. You okay with what I'm saying? When she says that, it's as complimentary as she could probably get. She's not going to say, sir, I perceive you're the Messiah. That She's not in that mind frame. But to, to, to honor him as a prophet may have been the highest honor she'd have been able to give him in that moment. I hope you're okay with that. Watch the next thing, okay? Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour comes. I'm sorry. She said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she goes on and says this. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. That's Mount Gerizim. Remember that I said earlier they had set up a, a temple in Mount Gerizim because they weren't comfortable going to the temple in Jerusalem. So they set up their own temple. This is now where the Samaritans worship. So she's saying, our fathers worshiped in this mountain on Mount Gerizim. Okay. And you say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Right. Jesus is going to respond to that this way. Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you'll neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship and you don't even know what you're worshiping, right? You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, okay? You know what he just said to her right there I think is incredible? The location's not important, your attitude is. You understand what I just said? Your lo- the location's not what's important. Your attitude's what's important. It's your attitude of worship. You, you ought to stay. Can I say this? <laughs> Who's ever got caught up into radical worship driving down the road? Yeah. That's like a trip. Like, I don't know how it works for you. I'm driving down the road in my car. I'm, I got the CD on. I'm worshiping. I got a hand. I'm waving. And people are coming by waving. <laughs> you know? And it's not unusual because I, I love this cranked worship in my, when I'm in my car, and it's a neat thing because for me, uh, when I'm driving by myself in my car and I got worship on, I'll sing. And I'm the best singer in the car. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> if there's anybody else there, I probably won't, you know. Um, <laughs> There's, I was in, we were in Battle Creek. We put together a choir. They were amazing. Rick and Melissa Llewellyn were in charge of the choir. And uh, they invited, they opened it up for everybody. So like at the Christmas thing and they're going to do. And, and so they're putting a choir together. I said, man, I'm going to sing in the choir. Because that's something I always want to do. I love to sing. I want to sing in the choir. They said, do you want to sing? I said, yeah, I'll come and sing. So they had this practice in the first practice. At the end of the first practice, Rick said, here's what, Pastor. He said, of all the praying men I've ever met, he said, you might be one of them one of the most devout praying men I've ever met. So when we meet for choir practice, I want you in the back of the church praying for us. <laughs> I looked at him. I said, what are you saying? He said, preach, don't sing. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so anyway, we all have to flow in our gifting, right? We have to just flow in our own gifting. But the thing of it is, is that the ad- it's not about the location. It's about your attitude. It's about where your heart's at. It's about what's going on in you. And there's a place where we worship from our heart. I get excited when I read this because we have an incredible structure here. I, I so appreciate what God's done. And if you know the history, we came from a plaza right below here to here. And God's done amazing things in the, in the dozen years that we've been around. And it's just kind of fun to watch what God's doing. But I also understand that some of the most amazing times I've ever had with God had nothing to do with a beautiful building. 
It's not about, you know, crystal cathedrals and temple temples. It's more about what's going on in your heart. I was, I was preaching in a, a church. They, they actually, it, it was in the northwest corner of Pennsylvania. They called it Fertig's. And uh, the building actually leaned to the left. You could visibly, you could look at it in the peak. It leaned over. And they told me, now when you preach, be careful. (laughs) But in that, uh, amazing moments with God. Amazing. And God would show up in a backwoods country church that leaned. Do you all follow what I'm saying? With 40 or 50 people. And some of the most amazing times. I'll tell you the most, the, the, the strongest, I don't know if you think in your mind, the strongest you've ever felt God in your life. But the strongest I ever felt God in my life, I was in a car with three other people. I wasn't driving. I was in the back seat. A friend of mine's father had died. We were taking him to Mississippi. And we began to sing and worship. And I can even remember the song, I Saw the Lord. His high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And the angels cried, holy. And I will tell you, he came in the car. It was maybe, I honestly had my eyes closed, and this is true, but I actually was in such deep worship, and God had just showed up so powerfully. And I'll never forget, it was several years back, but when I opened my eyes and we were still on earth, I was disappointed because I was sure we weren't. That's how strong it was. I thought, we've been translated. We are not even earthbound. That's how I felt. I never felt anything like it up until that point. And to tell you the truth, I, don't, I can still mark that as maybe a high water mark as far as experience God's presence in a car driving down the road. Y'all follow what I just said? So it's not about a building and temples and everything else. It's about, it's not, do you understand what Jesus was saying? It's not about location. It's about attitude of heart. Y'all okay with what I said? That, that's a huge phrase right there, but that's something we can't miss. Okay. Now watch. He says, you worship and you don't know what. We know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's an amazing phrase. Probably most of you have that probably quoted to memory. Okay. But it's in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. I love this phrase. Watch this. There are two kinds of people on the earth. Worshippers and non-worshippers. He just said so. I didn't say so. He said so. He said, look, man. There's <laughs> and what's he looking for? He's looking for worshipers that will worship him. Watch this. Not just in spirit, but in spirit and in truth. Amen. I'm going to talk to you real plain. I want to say this the right way. Okay? If you follow the traditional, I'm going to say traditional, for lack of a better word, average Sunday morning service at about any given church, Right? It's really divided up into two parts. You got worship in the word. Am I right or not? Yeah. Right? We got worship in the word. Right. You got a, a whatever, depending on the church you go to. If you're here, you got an hour of worship. You got an hour of the word. And somehow it takes three hours here. I don't know how. Okay. <laughs> okay. But usually works that way. <laughs> okay. But, but really when it comes down to it, am I right or not? You, you know, that's true. Right? I see this and it's a trend that I see taking place in different places, but where folks will, will come in and, and it gets later and later as folks are coming in because the worship is a certain length, right? So if I just come in late, I can still get the word. How many know he's looking for people that will worship him in spirit, right? The worship and truth, the word. What I find is this. I find that the worship, if I could divide this, watch this. The worship is our gift to him right? We're going to worship him. It's what we're giving to him. That's our gift to God. Then he in turn pours his word out to us. 
Y'all follow what I just said? So watch this. The first part, we're giving to him. The second part, he's empowering us. Because we're empowered through, watch, I'm empowered through, through meeting with him in worship. I understand that. But what makes my walk every day stronger is the basis of the word. So the word, as God brings revelation, as God brings understanding, as God brings illumination, that's what I would call his gift to me. Does that make sense? Go ahead, Patty. We better put it on the mic. I'm sorry. Go ahead. How people will wait to come in to get past the worship and come to the Word. Right. I always had a problem with that because I said, they're going to be very disappointed in heaven because... (laughs) (laughs) Probably won't be a lot of preaching necessary in heaven. (laughs) No. That's all we're going to be doing is worshiping the Lord. They obviously, you know, they're going to be very disappointed when they get to heaven because... There's not going to be preaching there. Okay. What are they going to do when we're just worshiping, worshiping the Lord all day long, you know, all the time? Maybe they'll come late. They Never might. Mind. Never mind. <laughs> I'm just no, I, 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 I shouldn't have said I that out loud. I, I, said okay. one time, I said one time in the church, I said, you know, instead of doing announcements in the middle of the service after the worship, you know, you just kind of like lose sure. the, the flow of things. Why not do it in the beginning before you start worship? And that way you don't have, you can just go into flow. They said, well, people don't, come sometimes to the message starts I said well shame on them okay right right and I realize some people come in and there, there's always stragglers that come in and but sometimes it's because you have to but I mean there's right that they do it sure all the time. there's a place where my heart is so engaged I want to worship and, and I can remember this as a young man uh, I had a vision you know because they're, they're telling us what 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 heaven's going to be like, you know, as a young boy, Catholic boy, and, and I thought, oh my goodness, church forever, because <laughs> that just didn't sound like fun. Who knows what I'm talking about when you're a young kid, church forever, what's that going to be like? You know what I mean? I'm picturing like ice cream on demand, you know, because <laughs> that was heaven to me at eight years old, you know, <laughs> chocolate, it shows up, <laughs> okay, you know. Anyway, in the process, to understand, what, and I understand what Patty's saying is there's a place where w- our hearts ought to be engaged to worship. We want to worship. And there's something about that. So in that first part of the service, we're worshiping. That's our gift to God. What's what he's saying? He's saying the Father's looking for those that will worship him in what? Spirit and in truth, right? The spirit and the truth of his word. You know, the idea that you've come for 13 weeks to apply yourself with the idea, I want to get all the truth I can. I'm, I'm after truth. There's a place where we're seeking after truth. I'm going after truth. Watch this. Just because somebody said it doesn't make it truth. Who knows what I'm talking about, right? I, I, can I say this? I, for a lot of folks, and, and, and for years, I wrote my messages out pretty much manuscript. I never read a message, but I would write it out and then go back over notes as I'm preaching. I still do that a lot. A lot of times you'll see me on a Sunday morning. I may have eight, nine, ten pages of notes. You know, I don't stand there and read them. I put them down and pass by them a lot, okay? <laughs> but, but, but I will come back to them and refer to my notes. And I've, I've done that. And, and if you, I went for years. I kept those messages. I had them in a box, actually. When we moved to the house that we built over here in Abbottstown, when we moved, I had a box I couldn't lift. As a matter of fact, two of us, it was a grunt to carry, and they were all old messages. Well, you don't know how fun that is to start going through them, right? Because these are stuff I preach like, you know, 10, 12, 13, 15 years ago. I've been preaching for about 29 years now. So I'm reaching in this box and pulling messages out and I'm reading them going, you said that? Oh my, you did. 
is this? <laughs> I mean, and I'm about half frustrated. I'm thinking, I've got to go back and apologize, right? <laughs> okay. But that was my understanding. That was my revelation at the time. And it kind of made me feel good because that says my revelation's grown. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? You're getting better revelation, more illumination. I had a message because remember I said we, we didn't do the whole jewelry and makeup thing? I had a message in that box that was called From the King's Palace to the Beauty Parlor and From the Beauty Parlor to the Dogs. It was on Jezebel. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? But in the process, I guess what I would look at is as I look back over life, uh, you see your revelation, your understanding, all these things are growing, right? But truth is being illuminated in you. Yes. Can I say this? What I believed in the past was truth. I just now walk in greater truth. And guess what? I'm believing that over the next several years, that will continue to expand and it'll be greater truth and greater truth and greater truth and greater truth. You know, the Lord spoke to me because I was sitting right back there in the back of the church one day in here, in here just me and the Lord, and, and the Lord was speaking to me about that I'll be an old man sitting there hearing messages preached by a generation that has not yet been born going, oh my goodness, I never saw that before because the illumination continues to grow. Isn't that an amazing day? Like, I get really, really excited about this stuff because God is just showing us more. And the thing is, can I say this? He's after the hungry. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. If you show up hungry, he'll feed you. He's after the hungry. He wants to reveal truth to you. Can I say this? He doesn't want you to walk around confused and dazed and messed up. Is that okay to say it that way? He really wants Please hear this. Great revelation. And I might have shared this, but if I did, it's worth sharing again. One of the great revelations didn't happen all that long ago. The Lord was speaking in my heart. And he said something that I thought was amazing. I got a vision in my head. Remember I talked to you, I get a lot of pictures, word pictures. And well, the picture was this. It was a man hiding Easter eggs, right? And God spoke to my heart and said, it's like me. I'm not hiding things from you. I'm hiding things for you. Do you understand that? When you hide Easter eggs for your kids, you're hiding them so they can find them. You don't try to hide them in a place. Watch this. You've got a three-year-old, right? You are not hiding Easter eggs in the top of the oak tree, right? Because your three-year-old will never find them. What do you do? You're putting them out in the grass and they leave a part of the color showing. So when he goes there, he finds them. And who gets more excited, you or the kid? <laughs> Come on. You get as excited as kid. I, I found the egg. I found the egg. And you're like, he found the egg. Because <laughs> you're more excited than he is. Do you understand that's the way God is? He's not hiding things from us. He hides things for us. It's revelation. He gets, he gets more excited about you getting the revelation than you do. It's an amazing day when you get the ahas and the revelation starts opening up. It's just as amazing for your father. He wants you to find that. That to me is amazing. He's looking for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants us to get truth. He says, seek truth, go after truth, pursue truth, because when you do, you'll find it. It'll show up. I get excited about this stuff because it, it's, that's where my heart's at. I want a deeper revelation. I think it's kind of neat. He says, the Father seeketh such to worship him. There's two things that the Bible says God's seeking for. One is sinners. The other is worshipers. Do you get it? And you're one or the other. <laughs> Yay. That was a good word. <laughs> you're one or the other. Do you understand that? Jesus said the Son of Man came what? To seek and save that which was lost. He's seeking for the lost, right? He's seeking for sinners and worshipers. Do you get it? And you're one or the other. 
Because if you're, if, you're, if you're born again, worship ought to be a part of you. It ought to just be the natural part of who you are. It ought to just flow up inside of you. Guess what? I used to have to go to church. Now I get to go to church. Does that make sense? There's a place where you're after that, and that's what we're looking for. Watch the next thing, okay? The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he's come, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said, I that speak unto thee am he. Everybody see that? I've had people preach Jesus never said he was the Messiah. Yeah, he did, right here. Right here. Hello. I that speak to thee am he. That's pretty much a, that's a, is that a done deal or what? I mean, come on, this is early in his ministry. This isn't like in the third year, uh, you know, when, when all the rebellion's taking place. This is year number one. He is right out there. This is, we just turned water to wine uh, two chapters ago. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is an amazing day. And he said, I'm the Messiah. Did he just say, I'm the Messiah? He really did. Okay. Upon this came his disciples. They marveled that he would talk with the woman. Why? He broke all the rules. Rebel. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I love that. Because he's crushing tradition. You've got to see that as he's a tradition crusher. Let's not get caught up in traditions and ceremonies and all those kind of things. Watch this. I want to say this the right way. We don't ever crush tradition just for the sake of crushing tradition. Please hear what I just said. We crush tradition when, it's, when it doesn't, when it holds us back from the purposes of God. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Do you understand that he's talking to a woman that Jesus, he, Jesus looks at her and says, the Father loves you. I'm only doing what I say. Remember this, I have to go to Samaria. Why? Because God has a divine appointment for him at the well. Right? Remember that I said a little while ago, this woman represents the church. I'll show you that in just a few minutes, okay? But this is amazing to me. This woman, right, I that speak unto thee am he, and upon this came his disciples. Why are you talking to her, okay? Yet no man said, what seekest thou? Why talkest thou with her? They're not even going to question it. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Watch this. This is the woman nobody would talk to. Right? This is the woman who comes at noon, right? And because she doesn't even want to be around people. Now, all of a sudden, there's such a shift in her. Why? Because she's had an encounter. She's had a power encounter with God. That's amazing to me. This encounter has transformed her. Now she's become the evangelist. <laughs> Yay! I love this. Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. I don't know that he told her all things ever he did. He said, you've been married five times. You're living with a guy who's not your husband. But I don't know if that's all things ever I did. Maybe they had more of a conversation. I'm not sure what it all looks like. All I know is this woman got so excited. The whole purpose for her being there is getting water. And she left her water pot. Why? Because God's got a new purpose. Her destiny was water carrier. Now her destiny's changed because she's had an encounter with the Christ. Do you understand how powerful that is? Because once you've encountered God, things change. Water doesn't even become necessary. Now I've got living water. She got the living water. Now she's become an evangelist. She's now preaching. I want you to understand something I think is absolutely amazing. Where's this, re- where's this happening? It's happening in Sychar. That becomes real important in just a minute. Watch this. Watch the next couple words. Okay? All right. Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ, the Messiah? That's a, that's a messianic title. Okay? Then they went out of the city and they came to him. Okay? They went out of the city and they came to him. They listened to this woman. She told them to come and they came. I didn't think she would be a woman of influence. So why are they listening to her? 
This was a woman that was actually hiding her head in shame. She's coming at noon because she doesn't even want to be around people. And now all of a sudden she's become a person of influence and the whole city gets moved. Why? Because she's had an encounter. Because there's such a radical change in her, we better find out why. Isn't that amazing? That to me is awesome. Watch. Does that tell you God can use anybody? Phew, there's hope for us. Okay, <laughs> isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Watch this. I'll read you a little more. Okay. Uh, in the meanwhile, the disciples said, uh, well, let me just drop down for the sake of time. Okay. Um, well, phew. yeah, let's go. Let's, let's read the whole thing. They went out of the city. They came to him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, master, eat. He said, I have meat to eat that you don't even know of. So the disciples thought, wow, has any man brought him ought to eat? Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. That's a very powerful statement. The thing that sustains me, the thing that drives me on, the thing that keeps me pushing is I'm here to do the will of the father. The thing that keeps, watch this, the thing that keeps me going when I don't feel like going anymore. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. The thing that drives me and pushes me when I don't feel like, come on, there's a place where you just, who's ever felt like throwing in a towel? Come on, we've been there in different places in our life, but yet here's the deal. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish what he called me to do. If you would understand that destiny is written all over you. Purpose, destiny. God's got a plan, and you're in it. <laughs> God has a dream about you. <laughs> I think that is amazing to me. God has a dream about you. You need to know this. Do you understand that there are things that are specifically just for you that God has called you to that no one else can fulfill? That has to speak to you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. As an individual, that no one else could. You may elect not to do it, and somebody else could, but they'll never do it the way you would have done it. Do you understand what I just said? There's a place where you come to an understanding that says this. Watch this. God, you've called me to do certain things that nobody else can do the way I would do them. Help me to do what you want me to do. That, that's, that speaks volumes to me because honestly, sometimes there's a spirit of insignificance that grips us. Yeah. We feel like what, 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 I had a guy call me and in tears said, if I died today, it would be three weeks till anybody knew I was gone. Do you understand what I just said? Spirit of insignificance, trying to grip his heart. I don't really count. What's the difference? Nobody would miss me. And sometimes that tries to grip our hearts. Do you understand that God has such a unique plan for you that nobody else can do what he wants you to do? Isn't that amazing? Let me walk you through, because there's about a thousand thoughts in my mind. I don't want to get down another rabbit trail, okay? Watch this. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white, all ready to harvest. Now, check it out. They're in the early spring season. It's really not harvest time on the natural fields. But he's not talking about natural fields. He's saying God's got his plan already in motion. And it started with this little woman right here. Did y'all get that? God's got a plan in motion. And it started with an insignificant woman who nobody would have put value on. 
Do you understand what I just said? Because in the natural, that she didn't seem like she had much value, but God saw her as incredibly valuable. That ought to speak to every one of us. So he's got a plan in motion, and they're looking around saying, what are you talking about? Watch what he says, because he finishes it. He says some things. Okay, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They're white, they're ready to harvest. He that reapeth receives wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that sowed and he that reaps may rejoice together. Herein is that saying true, one sows and another reap. Everybody see it? So watch this. You go along, and this is so incredible that we get this. You go along, and you're talking to somebody about the Lord, and they don't have a big conversion experience, and there's not three angels, and a horn blows, and a tada from heaven, but God plants a seed in a person's heart through the words that you spoke. Somebody else is going to come along and water that, and God's going to give the increase. It's up to you just to be a good seed planter. Some days you may be called to sow. Other days you may be called to reap. And you never know when you get up which day. Can I tell you something? You can be talking to a group of three people. You could be sowing, watering, and reaping all at the same time. Because you're sowing into this one. This one already had a seed that's getting watered, and this one's getting reaped. And it's all out of the same conversation. Isn't that amazing? That's so fun. We need to get a hold of that. Like, so watch. Herein is a saying filled, okay? Uh, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you're entered into their labors. Look at verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. Isn't that amazing? The woman became an evangelist, and people came and believed on Christ as being the Messiah. They were Samaritans. How many know he sent the disciples where? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This was a group of people that the Jews wouldn't even have dealt with. But now God's moving in an area that we would have discounted as Jews. Y'all follow what I just said? Isn't that amazing? I'm going to tell you something. If I was to ask you what was the greatest move of God on North American soil so far to this date, you might say, well, there was a big revival down in Florida. There was this, there was that. Azusa Street. Azusa Street was obviously the greatest move of God on North American soil. Yeah. Toronto had a great revival. I'm not taking away from what happened up there in the Toronto revival. I'm not taking away from what happened with John Kilpatrick or John Arnott or any of that. But there's an old man named Clarence Seymour. Yeah. Come on. And he stuck his head in an orange crate every day and prayed. I, I, I can't even get a visual, but I would like to go get an orange crate. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If that's what it takes to get a revival like that. But the Azusa Street revival transformed our country. It literally hit. You want to understand something? It came from an old black preacher. And guess what? People wouldn't have listened to that except something happened. God showed up in an amazing way. And in that amazing way, people's lives were radically changed. It was 1903, if I remember right. I think it was 1903. But you know what? It was an amazing move of God on planet Earth. What happened? God showed up in an insignificant place through some insignificant people, if we were to judge it in our own mind, in Azusa Street in California. Mm -hmm. And it rocked our country. If you study the history of the Pentecostal movement, I'm going to tell you something. Azusa Street was the catalyst. A little old man named Clarence Seymour, who just believed God. Very little education. As a matter of fact, during a time when everything was still segregated. But God showed up. And all of a sudden, people weren't worried about culture. And they weren't worried about tradition. It's almost like 
John chapter 4. <laughs> it, it's so amazing to me. Now watch, watch the next thing, okay? So when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he stayed two more days. Why? Because they asked him to. Sometimes maybe we ought to just ask him to. Maybe we ought to ask him to show up more. Maybe we ought to ask him and invite him and make him welcome more. There's something about that where he's just invited. That's so fun to me. A long time ago, I told the Lord, I promise, I never want to have church one time without you. And I have church every day. I had a meeting yesterday, talked to some people who had been away over the weekend. They weren't here, and I didn't know, I didn't know they were missing. I just called There's some people that I'm close to, and I said, hey, just called and missed you. And just, just checking to make sure nobody's sick or anything's wrong. And just kind of pastor's heart toward them and, and making sure everything's okay. Yeah, and they had a family situation where they went with their family to a, a church, and they began to just share about it. And I don't want to project anywhere, uh, but they said the whole time we were there, we were wishing we were with you. Okay. <laughs> And part of it is this. Um, they said, can I use the phrase dry as a stone? And not be, I'm not trying to be critical and I won't project on where it was or anything, but they said it was just it was dead as a hammer, dry as a stone. And I can't even imagine spending time in that. Because I just think if I show up, he's coming with me. I'll talk to you about this. Let me, go, let me go with this. There's a place here, and I wanted to say this. People now are coming to Christ. They're moving everywhere. When he says, look on the fields, they're white. They're ready to harvest. The men of the city were on their way out to where he was at the well. The well was outside of the city. And as they looked, there's this large group of people that are just coming. Jesus says, look on the fields. They're white. They're ready to harvest. The men of the city were being moved. They were coming. Where are we at? Sychar, right in the middle of Samaria. Can I tell you something? Jesus stays there. It even says, and many more believed. Not because of the saying of the woman. I'll have to read it. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, now we believe not because of what you said. We heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Is that an amazing thing or what? First of all, let me tell you something. That's what I was trying to tell you a little while ago. You can't believe because somebody else said so. You've got to believe because you got it. It's got to be your word. It can't be because my mama said it can't be because my daddy told me. It can't be because the pastor said or I heard it on TV. I've got to get my own revelation. If I don't have my own revelation, I'm only living on your revelation. What am I going to do when you die? <laughs> do you understand what I just said? I can't live on your revelation. I can't live on somebody else's revelation. I've got to get this thing for myself. I've got to have ownership because I promise you it will be challenged. And if it gets challenged, you better have it inside of you. Do you understand what I just said? So there's a place where we get a revelation and we have an understanding of that revelation and it becomes our own. I've got ownership of it. Watch this. I love Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan has raised the bar in my life. Do you understand when I say that? Thank God for the people who have raised the bar in our life. They've challenged us. They've challenged what we believe. They've challenged why do we believe that. They've taken us to places where we had to search this stuff out. And he would preach stuff and it would rattle me. Like, 
Oh, I never saw that before. But I don't take it because he said so. Now I'm going to... Because immediately in my mind when he preached the scripture and he said this, I thought, wow, well, let me see that. And I'd take it in light of this scripture, in light of that scripture, because I don't want to stand on just one scripture by itself. That can be precarious. But if I can balance it out with two or three more that support that, oh my goodness, it's amazing. And everything begins to grow. Do you understand what I just said? There's a place where... Listen to what they said. We're not just believing because you said so, but we've come to see for ourselves. What you said challenged me, so now I've got to come and find out. Does that make sense? Please, if there's anything that you get out of today, here's where I'm at. Everything that you've heard for the last 12 weeks, take it in, but let it challenge you to get it for yourself. So that, so that it's yours. You now embrace it and take ownership of what's real. Who's ever been to a conference where they preach some really good stuff and some stuff that you thought rather strange? So watch this. I live with the phrase, eat the chicken, throw away the bones. Right? Eat the chicken, throw away. Who's got a book? Do you mark your books? I mark books all the time. Highlighting good stuff in yellow. Sometimes I take a pen and scratch out stupid stuff. Okay. I, even, I even write that right over it. Stupid. I, I do that. You know what I mean? Because, you know, if you get one of my books, it will be marked. I promise you. And, stuff, and I'll, I'll put parentheses around things. Good. You know what I mean? I write this good stuff here. You know what I mean? And I'll even write something. Watch this. Preach this later. Because okay. I, I do that all the time. We all do that. Everything that comes down the pike, you don't take ownership of. But you've got a purpose in your heart. What you're... One of the greatest challenges for me is this. I'm, I'm a student. I've been in this word for a long time. I've spent a lot of years studying and, and, and discerning. So for me to say, eat the chicken, throw away the bones is okay. But what if you're 17 years old and you're just brand new in this thing? And How do you discern what's really chicken and what's really bones? Do you understand what I'm saying? That's challenging to me. That's challenging to me. I've tried to keep the school pretty much an in-house school or people that I'm closely associated with because I want to know that the same message is coming out all the time. Y'all following what I'm saying? Because I know Pastor Dan's heart. I know Todd's heart. You know what I mean? And I've, I've got people around me that I trust with this message. So Bob Hazel, as a matter of fact, he just called. He's coming to the next school. And... and, and, and I know his heart, and I know where his thoughts are. You know what I mean? And we're going to have a great time with this. Scott Shang, same way. You know what I mean? I've shared with him, and he'll be in the next school. And Robia, you'll have a blast with her. She's just fun. And it's going to be a good time. So in the process of that, there's this thing, and I just want to say it real clear, but there's a place where you, you have to purpose in your own heart. Watch what the men of the city said. We're not believing because you said so. But now we've came and saw for ourselves. Isn't that really what Andrew told Peter? Yeah. Andrew tells Peter, we've found the Christ. But just in case, why don't you come and see for yourself? Does that make sense? Yeah. Please hear that. You have got to take ownership of what you believe. And sometimes, can I say this? This thing percolated in them for a long time. Do you know why? Because I read Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, there's a guy named Philip who shows up in a place called Samaria. And an incredible revival breaks out. 
But I believe the revival from Acts chapter 4 is from the seeds that were planted in John chapter 4. And Acts chapter 8, the revival in Samaria, is from the seeds that were planted in John chapter 4. And God was moving. Those things were percolating. And now the fruit of it you'll find in Acts chapter 8. Because there's an incredible revival that breaks out in Samaria. I think that's amazing. Come see a man that told me all things ever I did. Why did Jesus go to the well? Because I only do what I see the Father do. The woman was the bride. I'll show you some things. Who remembers that Abraham had a son named Isaac? So he sends his servant, and he says, man, go find a bride for my son. Does that scare any of you? <laughs> How many of you ladies want your dad? Want, want, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that just messes with me. Like, I'm thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to get a servant. Go find a bride for my son. You know, I'm thinking, my son wants to find his own bride. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in their culture, that wasn't an unusual thing. And he trusts his servant, who was the son, Isaac. Where's the bride found? at a well. It's Rebecca. He comes. Remember that the servant comes in, and where's Rebecca? She's watering the horses and the camels. She's at the well. He found a bride at the well. Now, there's a whole lot I could preach. As a matter of fact, I have preached this as a sermon before, but he finds her there. She's, labor she's laboring. She's doing all the right stuff, and he bows down and realizes, thank you, God. I found the bride. Where? At the well. You know what? I can walk you through. There's about five different patriarchs, and their brides are found at wells. Over and over, we find that here comes Jesus, and he's coming to a well. I must, if you read it in the King James, I don't know how it says in every other version, but in the King James, I must needs go through Samaria. He didn't say it would be my choice. As a matter of fact, I have the New Living Translation, uh, and I have that in, uh, I know the name of the Bible that I have. It's a really good Bible. I use a lot of its notes. But he's saying how that uh, Jesus is saying, I've got to go through Samaria because it's the shortest course, and I'm not going to let tradition govern my course. I don't believe that at all. I believe he was doing what he saw the Father doing, and God said, we're going through Samaria. Why? Because I have a divine appointment for you. God had a divine appointment for him to show up at the well. Why? Because that woman was going to show up at the well. And when she was showing up at the well, God wanted to do something in the city, and he wanted to use her. I think that's awesome. Why wouldn't you use uh, one of the political figures in the city? Why wouldn't you use somebody of prominence? Maybe there's a priest in the city. But he picks a woman with a sordid reputation. Why? Because she represented the church. Okay? Watch this. First of all, she's a Samaritan. What is a Samaritan? Half Jew, half Gentile. What? She represents all people. Do you understand that? She's a Samaritan woman. She represents all people. It's every race. Why? Because what Jesus is saying is, hey, this thing's for real, and it's for everybody. I love the revelation, whosoever will. Whosoever. Who's ever heard the old camp meeting song, whosoever surely meaneth me. Surely meaneth me. I'm part of that whosoever, aren't you? Yea, God. Watch this. She shows up at the well at a significant time. It's noon. I think that's amazing. I believe that God is calling his people out. There's a place right now, and we need to understand something. I, I don't get the whole timetable of God. I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, there's a lot of folks that believe we're, we're living in the final moments of the final hours of the final day. You know what I mean? And there could be significance to that. Because the truth of the matter is, he could come anytime. I think this, if you make the world and everything in it in six days, I'll bet you can wrap it up anytime you want to. 
<laughs> I'm just pretty convinced it's more up to him than me. You know what I mean? I know that there's a lot of prophecy that still needs to be fulfilled, but come on, he could fulfill it this week if he wanted to. He could. It could happen. I don't know how, but I don't have to know how. But I just know he could. We talked about that whole pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip. Remember? We talked about all that. I've had people come and want to debate that and discuss that and talk about that. And I said, you know what? I don't have it figured out yet. Here's the deal. I'm going out with a first load. <laughs> I don't know when the first load's going out, but when the first load goes, I'm going with the first load. <laughs> Just make your plan to go with the first load, right? Come on. That's okay. I'm okay with that. When the first load goes, I'm going. If you want to wait for the second load, I'll keep your food warm. Okay, <laughs> But I'm going with the first load, you know? I don't know when that's going to be. Here's the deal. And I tell people this all the time, man. Live like he's coming tomorrow. Plan like he's not. You understand what I said? Live like he's coming tomorrow, but plan like he's not. I, I, got, a, I got a plan to grow old. I got a jump start on it now. <laughs> okay? But we got a plan on growing old. You, can I say this? You should be, you, you, oh, I'm going to say this. You ought to be planning for your retirement years. When I first got into the ministry, my little girl was I think Nicole was 18 months old when we started. Yeah, she was. She was 18 months old when we started in the ministry. And the overseer that appointed me to that church talked to me about planning for retirement, and I laughed. I thought, man, you're crazy. Surely the Lord will come before all this. You know what I mean? I looked. I remember preaching that my little girl, I won't ever have to worry about her wrecking my car because I know the Lord will come before she's old enough to drive. I now have a 13-year-old grandson. <laughs> Do you understand what I just said? Yeah, I got a grandson, and I'm thinking he's going to wreck my car. Okay, <laughs> okay, but, but watch this. In the process of that, I was sure at my young age, right, back in the, in the early 80s, I was sure that there was no way, there was no way that my little girl was going to grow up because Jesus would come. How many of you knew that Y2K, it was over? <laughs> come on. That's it, Y2K, here it comes. We'll get ready. You know what I mean? Who saw the book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come in 88? Anybody remember that? That was a phenomenal book in 87. It didn't sell well in 89. <laughs> Y'all follow what I just said? But we had 88 reasons why the Lord was coming in 88. That was, and they, they listed 88 reasons. I was waiting for the book, 89 Reasons Why He Didn't Come in 88. <laughs> okay, you know, it didn't happen. But anyway, in the process of all that, there's been all kinds of folks that have predicted and made promises and all kinds of different things, said they heard from God. How many of you know they gathered together when all the, when all the quadrants, when the, when the planets all aligned in one quadrant? Anybody remember any of that? And they said the gravitational pull of the sun and all the planets together, and surely it's going to be cataclysmic and it's going to be the end of the world. And, and there, were, there were cult groups that gathered on mountains and they were ready to go meet God and Haley's Comet was another one. You remember when Haley's Comet came over the last time? And they climbed up on mountains and drank Kool-Aid or something. You know what I'm talking about? There was all these kind of things that have gone on around us. And here we are. Do you understand what I said? Live like he's coming tomorrow, but plan like he's not. That makes sense to me. What I believe is that God is strategically placing something in the heart of his church to plan like we're going to be here a while. Yeah. You okay with that? Yeah. I, I'm going to even go here. There was a day and a time when I used to pray, Lord, come quickly. And I understand that's in the end of the Gospel of John. Jesus says, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. 
You know, John says that. But in the process of that, what I would tell you is this. I quit praying that way. I quit praying that way. I've got a lot of friends and family that aren't saved. They aren't born again. They're not in the kingdom. And every time that I would say, Lord, come quickly, what I'm saying is to heaven with me and to hell with them. Did you get that? Do you understand that? I'm really saying to heaven with me and to hell with them. Do you get that? And I don't want to live that way. I want to say, Lord, hold off a little bit longer. We got a few more to get in. We got a few more that need to get gathered in. Before this ship takes off, let's get them in the boat. We ought to be trying to grab everyone we can, snatching them out of the fire. I love the way Jude says that. Snatching them like brands out of the fire. I love that. I want to go snatch some. <laughs> you know? There's some snatching that needs done. We've got to get a snatcher's anointing. <laughs> Come on. That's a, that's a good word right there. Right? Yeah. A snatcher's anointing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shoo. Do some Holy Ghost snatching. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I never heard that before. It just rose up in my heart. <laughs> it's amazing to me. The woman at the well represented the church at large. I love the idea that she's insignificant because I believe this, and I'll, I'll talk to you about this. If you go through the history and we understand the church, over the years, if you look, if you can go back to the 1940s, 1950s, the tent meeting revivalists started happening pretty big. And some of you might remember names like A.A. Allen, Jack Coe, William Branham. And through the 40s, 50s, into the 60s, that was a pretty big movement. And then, and then in the 60s, you had uh, Oral Roberts became a really big name. And... and, and uh, Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, and, and some of the ministries that began blossoming out. But what we found was, and I'll, say, I'll tell you what was happening is, they would gather in, and I can remember like R.W. Shambach. Who ever watched Shambach? I love Shambach. I want somebody, I said, I want somebody run around this tent. He used to shout. <laughs> I like Shambach. Yeah, he was T.D. Jakes before T.D. Jakes was famous. Okay, <laughs> okay but, but watch this. If you follow Shambach, you know, the different ones. But here's what would happen. They'd have these big meetings. They'd preach like a house on fire. And then... 917 people would line up and he would lay hands on every one of them. And he'd stay till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning praying in his tent for whoever would stay. Because he had a healing anointing. Y'all follow what I'm saying? That's the way this was all labeled, right? Yeah, and if, if you've ever been there, those means that's just the way it went. You know what I mean? And here's what would happen. He'd pray for them to the place where he was at the point of exhaustion. How many of you know, even though that was an amazing thing, and watch this, God honored that. Did people get healed? Absolutely. Tumors would fall off of people, and God did amazing stuff. It's documented stuff. I mean, this is A. A. Allen, Branham, Copeland, all these different guys. But what happened was God was doing amazing things in their lives. But there was something more God wanted to do. It wasn't about a man with an anointing. And we missed this. If I was to if I was to tell you one thing that I really believe, and I think it's so strong and we're getting it here, Ephesians chapter 4 outlines to me what the church ought to look like. And if you read it, in verse 8 it says, when he led captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. And then you drop down, and verses 11, 12, and 13 really sum it all up pretty well. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to go out and equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. 
to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. See, we can't just be a place of gathering. We've got to be a place of empowering. What A. A. Allen had, what Jack Coe had, what Shambaugh had, their job was to impart to others around them and equip them to go out and do what they were doing. But we saw it differently back then, and we called them a gift, and we let them flow in their gifting rather than teach and model so that others could catch hold and run because the same spirit that was in Shambaugh is in me, is in you, is in, you understand what I'm saying? And the same spirit that was in A.A. Allen or, or Jack Coe or some of them guys, that same Holy Ghost, that same empowerment was in the, in, uh, that was in them is in us. So watch this. It's not about one man flowing in his gifting. It's about a man training and teaching so we can all flow in a gifting. Do you get that? That's what's huge. The church is transitioning. Remember that I said earlier in the very beginning, we're transitioning. I really believe the insignificance of that woman speaks to every one of us. Do you understand what I just said? Because an incredible revival breaks out and a whole territory is transformed. I believe because a woman got a drink. Do you understand what I just said? That's amazing. And her insignificance is what speaks to me. Because if we were to see her from the natural viewpoint of, watch this, we saw her as insignificant. But now watch, all of a sudden transformation's taking place. Transition always brings transformation. That's a good word. Transition always brings transformation. So there's a transition that's taking place here, right? And transition is transforming. And now all of a sudden, the city's coming. And watch this. I love the idea that the woman might have got them to come out. But they said, we're not just believing because you said so. She was the catalyst to bring them out. But now they're taking ownership because they heard it for themselves. Does that make sense? I love the attitude of, I'm going to talk to you, and I'll share this testimony with you because I think it's kind of cool. Several years ago, um, Todd was beginning to really walk out some things in his life, and we would talk a lot. He was working for Dave Newman. Uh, Dave owns Good Time Ice Company in York, and he's on a truck. He's delivering ice. And he's delivering ice to Turkey Hills. If you're familiar, if you're from this area, if you're not, if you're watching by the internet, Turkey Hill is a 7-Eleven, Mini Mart type thing. And, and, and he was delivering ice to all these because they had the accounts for Turkey Hills and he would deliver. Most of the Turkey Hills in this area are owned by uh, people, a lot of them are Muslim. So now you got Todd going into Muslim places all the time. And that's a real challenge to a guy like Todd. <laughs> So, so he sees people that are hurting. It's in his heart to pray for them. And the people are Muslim. They don't believe what he believes. So he begins to talk to them. says, can I pray for you in Jesus' name? And they said, well, I don't believe like you believe. He says, cool, let me pray for you. <laughs> he says, and they said, well, we don't believe in that. Well, that's okay. It's not about what you believe. It's about what I believe. Well, but I don't believe. Like and you know what he said? And he said, it got common for him to use a phrase, well, What's the worst that can happen? Let's pray and see. I promise you, God will show up. That's a strong word to say, yeah, right? It's is. a strong word to say, but watch this. He said, it's like a showdown at Mount Carmel. And that was his phrase. And I can remember him and I talking about this on several occasions. Had another showdown at Mount Carmel. He'd get pretty excited. You know what I mean? But what it was, was he would pray. Let's see whose God shows up. Isn't that what happened on Mount Carmel? Let's see whose God shows up. 
Because he believed, what he said was, your unbelief won't trump my faith. My faith will trump your unbelief. Y'all follow that? So he just believed God was going to show up. And you know what happened? People got wrecked all the time. It got pretty cool, right? It, oh, I love this stuff. There's a place where you just got to start to really believe that God's going to show up when you pray. Because yeah. if you don't believe, he won't. But if you do believe, he will. Yeah. I love this. Watch this. There's a place, and I just, I just, I'm going to walk through this a little bit farther. But the woman, the insignificance of the woman speaks to every one of us. Because sometimes that's probably the greatest challenge we have. Mm-hmm. Is we feel insignificant. Yeah. We feel insignificant. Do you understand that a whole territory is transformed because a woman's not afraid? She overcame. What was it? The fear of men. Is that the greatest challenge that you have is overcoming the fear of the people that are around you? Watch this. What if I pray and nothing happens? Who's ever felt that way? Do y'all understand what I just said? What if I pray and nothing happens? Remember something that I said a little while ago? I'm not at the place where everybody I pray for gets healed. But I am at the place where everybody I pray for gets loved. Do you understand what I just said? So watch this. Let me love on you. Could I, could I just love on you and pray for you? Right? Here's a promise. I'm going to love you. You know what I mean? So what's the person when I'm done praying for them? What do they feel? If they didn't get change in their body, they got, they got warm in their heart. Somebody cared enough to love me. Do you know, I really believe that there's a whole lot more people need love than need healed. There's a word. <laughs> But there's a place where we're just reaching out. Come on. Because ultimately, isn't that the call of the body of Christ is to love people? Can I, can I take you somewhere I think is absolutely amazing? What's the great commandment? They asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? He said, here's the first and great commandment. Love God. What's the second? Love people. That's really what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says something that's absolutely phenomenal. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What's he mean by that? Everything the law was pointing to, everything the prophets were pointing to comes down to this. Love God and love people. If you do that, you fulfill the law. That's really what he said. Love God and love people. Can I say this? I'm going to say this. You can't love God and not love people. I've had people say, I love God. It's his people I can't stand. (laughs) Come on. Who's ever felt that way? Sometimes you might have felt that way. But here's the deal. When it comes right down to it, how can I say I love God who I can't see if I can't love you and you're made in the image and likeness of God? Do you understand what I just said? Come on. People are made in his image. People are made in his likeness. How can I love him and not love you? I might not always like everybody. I like most people. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. <laughs> but, but the truth is, come on, there's some people that might rub you the wrong way. There's some people that you want to love them at a distance, <laughs> okay? You don't want to love them over coffee, you know, or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is there's a place where we got to love people. And the ultimate truth is everybody I pray for gets loved. Does that make sense? There's a place where you got to love people. We've got to get into that walk where we're loving people, where that's the norm, I can't let you just walk by me and not love on you. I can't see you hurting and not hurt with you. I can't see you in pain and not feel your pain. This woman, something shifted in her because of a moment with Jesus. Give me to drink. What do you mean, give you to drink? How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, to give you to drink? 
Why would you even do that? Because I want to infect your life forever. Do you understand that? There's a place here where I believe what you're carrying is a well. And your job is to get people around you wet. (laughs) Come on, splash on them. Yeah. Just sprinkle them. We'll get Catholic. We'll baptize them that way. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) But just get them wet. And sometimes, can I say this? Sometimes it's a hit and run. Remember I said that a little while ago? We prayed, Dick and I prayed for this girl. Her name's Carmen. We just prayed for ears hurt and pain, and the pain's going, and we're just hit and run. We're not even staying. Jesus loves you, and you go. I'm not here to advertise a church. I, I never told her I was a pastor. We just walked by, I saw her, she had her head, and I said, hey, honey, you doing okay? Something going on? Oh, it's just my ear. I said, that was, what's, what's going on? She began to tell me, I said, could I have the privilege to pray with you? Could I just, could I just, just, just bless you? In Jesus' name. And I did tell her in Jesus' name because I wanted her to understand I'm not a shaman priest or whatever, whatever you know. And, and she, she said, her husband's with her, big guy. And he looks and he's saying, yeah, come on. Okay. <laughs> you know, and she's like, okay. And, and we just took her hands, prayed for her. What's going on? Is it getting better? She says, yeah. I said, cool, Jesus loves you. And we just left. Do you know why? Because if I tell her, watch this, if I tell her I'm a pastor and this is the church that I go to, I've now prayed and she can look at that and say with an ulterior motive, he's trying to get me to his church. But if I never tell her who I am, right? The Lone Ranger, who was that masked man? Just left her a silver bullet and we took off, you know? (laughs) And there are young people on the internet going, huh? Okay, never mind. (laughs) That's okay. Us old people know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. Yeah. But but watch this, okay? But there's a place, and I I had Tonto with me, right? Dick was Tonto, okay? But, okay but, but watch, because it's cool. We just hit, you hit and run. And you're just loving people into the kingdom. I'm, I'm confident that's the goal for every one of us, is to love people into the kingdom of God. Don't ever let a spirit of insignificance grip your heart to the place where you feel like you don't count. The woman came to the well at noon because she felt insignificant and she didn't count. And that's the one Jesus picked. I don't know if that messes with you. I'm going to say this. The father picked her because he said, I, I, read the verse, I must go through Jerusalem, th- through Samaria. I'm sorry, through Samaria. I must needs go through Samaria. I need to. I have to. Why? Because God has a plan. I'm about to have an encounter. There's a woman that God's bringing to the well. And when the father brings her, it's going to transform the city. She felt insignificant this morning, but by tonight, boy, is she going to feel different. Why? Because she's about to have an encounter. That so messes with me. I love that because God will take you and he'll meet you. And I love that. And sometimes we feel like our insignificance, we're we're in a place where this doesn't count. We don't matter. You matter to God incredibly. And you need to see that you matter to God. You need to understand, hey... I matter to God. One of the things I say here in the church a lot, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. (laughs) You should feel that about yourself. You're his favorite. Jesus loves you, but I'm I'm getting a t-shirt. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite, right? (laughs) Because to me, that's huge. That's a big deal, right? That is a big deal. You should feel like you're God's favorite. You're not insignificant. There are days, and I'll, and I'll share this with you. There are days when I stand back in awe. Uh, I'm totally sometimes, and you have to understand, and, and I'll share this quick. I've got a few minutes, and I'll just share this quickly. But to understand for Pastor Lori and I, um, 
I was 18, she was 16 when we met. I was not saved. I'll share this, this is probably important for somebody. But for, for several months we dated from August till February. It wasn't until I got born again that she ever said, I love you. Do you know why? Because she didn't want to get caught in, the, in that unequal yoke and she purposed in her heart, I will not tell him I love him until he's born again. Did y'all follow what I just said? Because she didn't want to get pulled into that, right? Now she loved me. I don't care what she says. <laughs> but I would say to her, I love you, because I was used to that, because I dated several girls, and that was, I was twisted in my mentality. I won't even get into all that, because I wasn't born again, so I didn't even think like a Christian thinks, right? I thought like an 18-year-old boy thinks, okay? So, so I had been very worldly, and, and, and my thought was, and I would say to her, I love you, and she'd say, I know. <laughs> and I would get so frustrated, like, no, really, I love you. She'd say, I know. And she would not say that, and it was because she was waiting for me to get born again, because she didn't want to allow herself that place in her heart, okay? So anyway, uh, at, at, at 18, so in February, I get born again, right? And, and then uh, we, met, we met on August 13th. We got engaged on August 17th and married on August 18th. But it was over a two-year period. So it was a year later that we got engaged. And then a year after that that we got married, right? You follow what I'm saying? So watch this. Over that time period, we're, we're learning and we're knowing each other. We're, we're doing some things. Here's a good word. This, rise, this rose up in my heart. Before you get married, you ought to know someone for four seasons. Yeah. Just going to leave that alone. Felt like I needed to just share that. Before you get married, you ought to know someone for four seasons. That's a good word right there. It's a challenging word, but watch what I'm saying. I'll, never mind. Okay? In the process, we knew each other for eight seasons. Okay? And she married me anyway. <laughs> okay? But watch this. In the process of that, when we, when, we, when, when we got married, God was doing some things in my heart. I felt the call into the ministry, and we began pastoring. We began pastoring. The first church we went to had eight people in it. Um, God blessed that church. We grew quite a bit. The second church I went to, we had, had two people in it when I got there. That was the 88-year-old Jamaican woman named, named Mabel Wallace and a 21-year-old guy who had just gotten a Section 8 out of the Army. Okay? That was it. Okay? So we went from there to uh, a church uh, where John Scott's from in Waynesburg. They had about 17 people in it. We went from there to a uh, Adam Station. Probably had 20 people in it. And then we went from there to Battle Creek, Michigan. Each time that we went, we were growing churches. And they were, we, were, we were church doctors. And the churches had been hurt. And we were blessing them and loving on people. And the church would grow. And once it would get big enough and strong enough, they would move us again to another church that had gotten torn up. You follow what I'm saying? So we became church doctors. And that's how we ended up out here. And then we, then we planted Harvest Chapel. But you got to understand, for a church, for me to have a church that was 50, 60 people was amazingly strong, right? So we planted the church in, in the plaza here, independent from any other organization. We're just an independent group. But we planted in the plaza down here, and that's where we started with a handful of folks. And the Lord's blessed it. And then we've watched it grow. And I've got to tell you something. There's days when I stand back, and it's scary. It, it's because I've been in the buildings at Lane. So, you know, we have a couple million dollar piece of property here. And God's done amazing things. And, and, and if you even follow some of you, and I think some of you know, but like, man, on our internet broadcasts and stuff, it's, I, I forget, I think we've been in 76 different countries and God's done amazing things. And I stand back and you know that whole spirit of insignificance, remember that I was talking about? Some days I stand back and go, this is crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy to see what God's done in the midst of this. We get letters, we get emails from all over. Today we have 
Korea and Costa Rica in the house. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that to me is just amazing. You know what I mean? And, and I don't understand all that. And, and, and you know, I think some of you know, but the school's broadcast in about 10 or 11 different countries right now. And God's doing amazing things. And all that kind of stuff just totally blows my mind. But watch this. It doesn't change who we are. Do you understand what I'm going to say? It doesn't change us. And watch this. The woman who had a, maybe what I would say, felt felt rather insignificance, God began to use her in an amazing way, right? I believe her life is changing, right? Her life is changing. Why? Because she's had an encounter with Christ, right? But we stay in that place, and I want to say this. This is probably really, really important to catch this. But we stay in that place where, God, I stand in awe of what you're doing, and I'm just a surrendered vessel in your hands. Please keep that in your heart. Please keep that in your heart. He gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. Okay? And there's a place where we stay humble before the Lord. I got to tell you, even standing and coming in and teaching a class like today, I knew Dan called me yesterday. We talked about what was going on. And I said, yeah, I can cover for you today. Don't even worry about it. But I know that, and watch this. I know that there are some people that just absolutely love Pastor Dan. And you know what? And I, I, I'm one. I love Pastor Dan. I love his teaching. So sometimes you even feel like, oh, man, they're going to be disappointing because Dan's not here. But you know what? You just go up and do the best you can and pray that somebody will love you somewhere, right? You know? and, and you just share your hearts. This is what's, and this is what's important. And this is what I'm trying to say is this. Here's the deal. There'll be, there'll, there's people, and I'll say this, there's people that love Todd. And we come to any meeting Todd's in because they would travel for hours. People, you know, when, when, when Todd's in the house, sometimes there's people from eight, nine different states show up here. And that's kind of cool. It's fun. It's like, because sometimes I want to do that. It's like he's preaching on a Saturday night. Who, how many states are represented in the house? Who's from another state? People start waving their hands around, you know, and they'll start sharing. You know what I mean? Even in the school, we have people from, I don't know, eight, nine, ten different states. Sue would tell you. You know what I mean? And different countries are on the Internet and stuff. It's so fun to see what God's doing. And I would have never saw that day coming. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'd have never saw that day coming. My plan was we would just hang out in the plaza and maybe a dozen of us will have church and we'll see if Jesus will show up or something, you know. And I knew he would. But watch what God does. And you stand back. Here's the challenge that I want to offer to you tonight, today, whatever time it is. You're on the internet. You don't know what time it is. Okay, come on, I'm just kidding. But watch this. In the process, okay, what I try to say is this. There's a place where we ask ourselves, Lord, how do you want to use me? Remember the other day when I was teaching and I said, everything that's been poured into you has never been poured into you for your own personal consumption. It's been poured into you not to be a lake, but to be a river. How do you want to use me, Lord? I refuse to allow a spirit of insignificance to keep me at wells at noon. Do you understand what I just said? I refuse to allow a spirit of insignificance to keep me at wells at noon. Because even if I'm there, you'll show up. You thought you were safe. You ain't safe. (laughs) Can I say this? You've got enough in you in the last 12 weeks. You are now dangerous to the kingdom of hell. You are now dangerous to the kingdom of hell. It's in you. It's up to you with what you do with it. Here's the deal too. You might say, Pastor, I'll never be able to remember all this stuff. Nobody would. But it's in you. And the Holy Spirit is able to attach himself to that and pull it out of you. At just the right time. You have no idea how many counseling sessions I'm in. And I'm quoting scriptures I don't even know I know. 
I do it all the time. I'm a book man, right? But I've read them, and then they come out. Sometimes I'm preaching, and, I'm pre and I do this a lot. If you're part of the house here, you know this. I'm preaching. I go, oh, that was really good. Because <laughs> I didn't know I knew that. <laughs> wow, that's fun. <laughs> you know? But come on, you guys have done that. You're talking to somebody, and all of a sudden, it just starts coming out of you. And it's like, oh, my goodness. My daughter called me the other night, and she was sharing with me because she's counseling with a girl. And while she's counseling with that girl, she's like, oh, my gosh, it was so good. I wish I had a tape recorder. <laughs> She was so excited, right? God does that. He shows up, Holy Spirit. It's in you. Don't ever feel insignificant. It's in you. And God's wanting to get it out of you. Amen. It's an amazing day. Yay? Yeah. Amen. Here's the deal. I refuse to allow a spirit of insignificance to keep me at wells at noon. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you're not insignificant. You're part of the bride. That is so huge to me. God wants to flow through you. So here's what I want you to do. Just bow your head and close your eyes just for a minute, okay? We're going to pray all over this place. Here's what we're going to do. We're praying and believing that all this stuff that's been poured into us has reason and purpose, and God wants to fulfill that. You're going to touch people. In an, oh, I want to say this. You're going to be, <laughs> you're going to be around people who refuse to go to church. So God's sending the church to them because you're the church. Like church showed up and they didn't know it. It was a sneak attack. And you're about to drop a love bomb right on them. And their world will get rocked. Because it's in you. If you would understand what's in you. Oh, there's no way you'd ever feel insignificant. It's in you. I love Romans 8 and 11. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. How could you ever feel insignificant? There's a place where God wants to so move in your life and touch the people that are around you. He's absolutely and adamantly in love with you. And he wants to love through you. There's a whole bunch of people that you're going to come in contact with that need loved. And I'm just challenging you, man. Would you take this on your heart to say, I will. I will. I will hear him. I will follow him. I refuse to feel insignificant ever again. Jesus is in love with me. We're going to pray. Father, I thank you that right now we find ourselves at wells. And in the process of those wells, God, we are drawing water that's absolutely phenomenal. So I'm asking you, God, just come in an amazing fashion. Touch our hearts and touch our lives. Help us to realize, God, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And because of that today, we will press forward. We thank you for meeting us here right now. We are confident, God, that you're wanting to do something amazing in our hearts and in our lives. And so together, God, we have purposed in our hearts. We will press in. We will press forward. Use us, Lord. The songwriter of old said, Jesus, use me. And, oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. God, I'm asking you to use us in an amazing way. I pray for everyone within the sound of our hearing right now. God, that you would use us, that you would touch through us, that the Holy Spirit would flow from our hearts, touching lives all around us. God, give us the opportunity to love on the people that you bring in our path. Bring people, Lord, that need loved, and we'll love them. Bring people that need healed. We're laying our hands on them. We're in faith to believe, God, you want to flow through us. God, that you would just touch the people around us. Holy Spirit, we want to be a people that aren't afraid to take the step. 
Teach us what it looks like, Lord, to take the step. Teach us, Lord, not to allow fear to dominate us, but to purpose in our heart. We'll dominate those things. We're going to walk through it. We're going to press through, God. We won't let walls hold us back. But, Father, we are convinced you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. So, Father, help us to fulfill the destiny that's in us. Help us to realize all this stuff that's been poured into us over the months. God, we're seeing that transformation take place in our life. We're going to take it to the streets. We're going to take it to our family. We're going to take it to the people around us, and we will make an impact. God, I thank you. You are instilling in us a kingdom mindset. Because of that, Lord, we'll go forth in a kingdom culture and we will change the community for the kingdom of God. Father, I thank you for what you're doing and I pray right now, let there be a grace on all that we've learned these last 12 weeks. Help us, Lord, to let that soak into us and become a part of the fabric of who we are that we would go forth in a greater dimension than we ever have. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you. We are at the well. Oh, God, let us drink of you. Let us take in. Let us drink what you have for us, God. Brides are found at wells. God, we are coming to the well to draw deeper than we ever have before. May that become such a part of who we are. Let us be saturated with all that you have for us that we might take it forth and pour into those that are around us because, Lord, it's a well of everlasting water. It's living water. It's, it never runs dry. And God, I'm asking you to just fill us up, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for hanging out with us. Bless you. You are dismissed officially. Do you need anything, Sue? We're good, right?